Spectre. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how hard that was. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> good start. Spectre. Spectre. What a strong start. That was uh, co-written by Billie Eilish, that one, so <laughs> memorable. Welcome to Spectre Etc, a James Bond podcast. Well, it is time to blow the dust off our microphones and blow the froth of a coldie while we disseminate the James Bond films. Today, after a hiatus, we shall review Daniel Craig's 2021 film with more callback trophies than Hilly's office drawer in <laughs> Harry Joji Fukunaga's Dr. No Time to... Live and let die another day. Lights. Well, I'm crossing that one off my note. <laughs> I had that same sentence. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my name's Colin, and like our hero, after five years since my last public outing in the Bond world, I too have a four year old daughter named Matilda. <laughs> well, and, by the way, that won't be the last spoiler as well. If you haven't seen the film, probably watch that before you go any further. Uh, with me, we've got <laughs> Matt. G'day, Matt. Welcome back. G'day, mate. It is great to be back. And um, I want to call out some of the parallels of this, uh, of us and this film as well. Past our prime, <laughs> been in the metaphorical wilderness for the past five years before being lured back into the fray for one last mission. It hits so close to home, it makes my back sore. <laughs> G'day, Cam. Oh, hey, welcome back, everyone. Um, my name is Cameron, and I'm in trouble because I did get my wife nanobots for Christmas. <laughs> Hey, Benzo. Hey, g'day, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here, but I'm not here for long because I'm very soon to be opening my new stationery store in Matera, Italy. I'm just going to be selling paper. I think there's <laughs> oh. profit to be made there. <laughs> very good. Well, if you couldn't be bothered seeing the film, I'll run through a quick summary of what we're going to talk about. For the first time since David Niven played Sir James Bond in... Spectre, etc.'s as yet unreviewed 1967 film Casino Royale, 007 has retired and is now living a leisurely, monogamous life with the daughter of his former nemesis. While it's romping in Italy, a Spectre ambush shadows doubt on Madeline's true allegiances, so Bond chucks her on the closest train without a ticket. Five years later, MI6's experimental DNA nanobot bioweapon technology falls into Spectre's hands thanks to the double, triple-crossing... Scientist, Dr. Orgachev. If you double cross, is a double cross? I do have a question here. Is, this, is that a triple cross or is it a quad cross? Yeah, I think it's squares. So with a little it? two. It's got a little square. Two like four, a, a quad cross, right? Quad cross, yeah. Yeah. Why anyway, not? he does that. Uh, Bond is coaxed out of retirement by MI6's new 007 Nomi, and Felix Light is grinning a CIA sidekick to try and retrieve the weapon. This leads him to Cuba, where Orgachev, who formerly works for Freddy. Sorry, he actually works for Freddie Mercury. Uh, switches USB and kills all of Spectre instead. Felix is double-crossed and killed. So Bond goes with MI6's new psychotherapist Madeline to the imprisoned Blofeld to find out who wants Spectre dead. Bond accidentally kills Blofeld and follows Madeline to Norway, where we all find out that the Spectre etc. theories on Bond's crab key sterility have been given a giant myth busted by the Broccoli <laughs> family. 
Freddie Mercury kidnaps the kid and mum naps the mum and takes them to his <laughs> lair. Bond gets the bad guy, saves his family, and ultimately gets fired. Oh. That's, uh, yeah. So I do have something special for you guys. Uh, you may have read about this film. It's got a number of references to previous Bond films. So I'm going to have a series of quizzes for you to see how well you know your Bond films as we go through. I'd like to call this segment uh, Quiz Time in the World, comma, we have all the, but instead I'm going to go with Quiz Time. Is that quiz Time. It is, yeah, it is from Bar Jasa. So <laughs> it does have a real name, but that's the only one I know it from. So if you hear that, then uh, get your thinking caps on because I'm going to be picking your brains and seeing what... What callback do we have here? Oh, dear. Oh, I didn't study for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Probably could have warned you. Sorry. So, um, yeah, we, we start with Gun Barrel. Um, what do we think? I, I think this is one of the best Gun Barrels. Like, the, the animation in there, the reflection down the barrel is so good. It's so clear and crisp. It looks, looks real. It doesn't look animated at all. It just looks like a real nice Gun Barrel. And also, focus on that, I didn't even notice that there was no blood. Like... What, what's going on there? My wife was buying shoes and we walked into the theatre late, so I didn't see it. <laughs> well, That's the sort a- of analysis you waited five years for. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's cutting it satire, women be shopping. <laughs> the thing that hurts the most is that she didn't actually get the shoes. Oh. <laughs> uh. um, I... Uh, the, the, I don't know if you saw the um, gun barrel was different in America to other countries because there was a different distributor. Um, and so your one was a better one than the one I saw in that you had that the logo turning into the white circle. Universal logo. Mm. Which was cool. I quite like that. Yeah. Universal aren't sh- shy from like um, adapting their logo to sort of fit the film. And turning the earth into the white dot. It was and send, really nice they stuff. send it out everywhere. They're almost like universal exports. <laughs> oh, they should have done that. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> but no, the, the lack of blood coming down, like we've talked about it before, that Bond gets the kill shot and that's his victim's blood descending over his eyes as uh, Bond takes another life and this time there wasn't one and that's meant to foreshadow um, the end of the film, yeah. Yeah, wow. Which nice. we all know, and I feel weird not saying, but I still haven't said it out loud. <laughs> Since I saw the film a month ago, I still, I've never said it out loud to anyone. Like, if I, if I say it, it's not true. <laughs> yeah, right now at home, there's dozens of listeners just in shock and awe about the fact that he might not make it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in our pre title scene, um, nice snowy vista. Uh, the first. In Madeline's childhood. Scene. What do we reckon? Like 15 years ago or so? We've got this masked man shuffling awkwardly to a child at home and mum's having a cocktail of drugs and booze, so, you know, clearly the kid's in charge and uh, this guy just appears at the movie, at the window, sorry, um, sort of scream style. Yeah, a bit of a jump scare that you don't normally see in a Bond movie. We actually had a few gasps in the audience at the viewing I saw, which is not, yeah, something that you see in a Bond movie a lot. Fantastic. It was a great, it was a really well-filmed walk-up to him too. It's such a beautiful yeah. location, a great house. And that mask is creepy as hell. Oh, absolutely. But the, the mum, 
stonked out of a head on the boxed wine was pretty rough viewing with just the kid there. Yeah. I thought, I thought Give me more medicine, like, I think she yeah. says. Yeah. On a more positive note, I did like the little clues to what time, what year, what era it was. The Tamagotchi was the best thing about that. <laughs> she was lying on the bed playing a Tamagotchi. Yeah. I don't feel like that Tamagotchi lasted very long after that, after the scene. I think she probably had bigger priorities. Yeah. I think Tamagotchi were like um, popular enough. We could probably pin it down to the month, couldn't we? Like, was anything around that? 90, long, 95-ish? 93? What are we talking there? I actually have no idea. It didn't play a part in my life. I, I, yeah, same. I don't know if it was a, a thing in our neck of the woods. <laughs> I thought it was later. I thought it was in the 2000s. Oh, maybe. That would explain it. Just based it a, a decade. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Call in. Uh, we, look. <laughs> the, the lines are open. <laughs> uh, turns out the mask man is, uh, I can't pronounce this, Lucif- Lucifer? Yeah. Safan? Sounds good. And yeah, his family- that's what they want you to say. <laughs> Lucifer Safin, which is clearly Lucifer Satan. I mean, they've just yeah. gone for the double barrel. And it's not good. <laughs> I don't like the name at all. I can't. I can't stand it. <laughs> so I didn't pick that up. Probably because, well, I don't know, like Lu- Lucifer is not a name of familiar. It's not like a Bob or a John or anything like that that, you know, it's sort of you can turn into something. Yeah. Like no. Holy Goodhead, for example, it's just kind of. No, it's closer to high fat than. Uh... <laughs> or chew me. Or kissy Suzuki, chew me. <laughs> I forgot chew me. Yeah, it's more down that road, and I it's maybe that's a callback that they're doing to wacky names, but I I would have preferred him to be called Bob. Quite frankly, <laughs> they may as well just literally have called him Lucifer at that point, right? Like it's yeah, you know, rather than trying to dance around it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I guess they did because it's Russian for Lucifer, but still, like, just lean into it. Yeah, yeah, it's closer to like, oh, this is a uh, cat galore. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. <laughs> so Safran, uh, he's there to avenge the death of his family because Mister White was. Um, responsible for killing his. So he goes and kills Mrs. White. And then uh, when he goes up looking for Madeline, she actually grabs a gun and, and shoots him. He falls off the stairs. Uh, great planking die. scene, by the way. I love how he, get, he gets shot. He just falls back flat. Like, you know, he just goes down. <laughs> planking. <laughs> Another late 90s trend, I believe. Oh, my early God. 2000s. <laughs> yeah. I think it was that was like 2015, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies. Holy shit that our our grasp on, on time is, is a bit wobbly now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, someone pointed out the other day to me that we're closer to 2050 than 1990, and oh. nothing's made sense ever since they said it. Oh. <laughs> well, I just watched a documentary where they were saying that the first time Nirvana toured the UK, the Berlin Wall was still up. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, so then Madeline drags Safin outside. And he wakes up and she runs away and she falls through the ice. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is, in what other film do we see the protagonist trapped beneath the ice while the henchman stands above and just shoots at them? Ooh. That is up in Skyfall. That's right. Between uh, the big end. house and the church, yeah. 
Oh, Very good. Nice one. That's one point to Benzo. I'm going to keep a tally of that. Jeez. Um, <laughs> now, also, when she's chasing the guy, we've got this, uh, you see, the Spectre ring within the secret room. Mm. What film is that Spectre ring from? This is an easy one. Anyone playing at home can get this one. Spectre. Well done, Matt. Yeah, good one. Okay, good. Now, what show is seen on the TV oh, in the Madeline's Wallace bedroom? Wallace and Gromit. Oh, very good. Now, or in it's French, so it's probably Wallonia and Gromet. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, this is something interesting I read. It was actually like a, a proper published article that went for about three pages about the two-second snippet of Wallace and Gromit that we saw there. It's not very funny. It's just interesting. Apparently, that episode is called uh, Wallace and Gromit's The Wrong Trousers, which actually foreshadows the events throughout the film. In this scene, there's a gun pointed at one of the characters. Uh, showing an impending sense of dread. And in the story, there's a nefarious penguin that gets between Wallace and Gromit and breaks up their friendship. And then later on, they get back together and they chase after the penguin. It's the same way that Bond and Madeline get separated because there's a guy that gets in between them and says, hey, look, you know, you guys don't like each other. Then later on, they gang up to get the bad guy. And the penguin's a... Like a a tuxedo reference or something, like the penguins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy to dig that if you want. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, now when she comes out of the ice, we cut to this scene in Italy where Bond and Madeline are retired and she's swimming and uh, Bond's wearing sunglasses. Uh, and, yeah, they just drive around. She's saying, oh, drive a little bit faster. Um, and, yeah, Bond's like, oh, no, we've got, we've got plenty of time. Um now, hang on, <laughs> hang on. What does he say? Well, you tell me. <laughs> I'm digging you early on this one. Got all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and what's that from? Her Majesty's. At so the end. There's a lot of a lot of parallels with Her Majesty's in this. Film. I know. Because yeah. many, know, many. The best, yeah. the best Bond. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I think we established that uh, Lazenby was the best Bond, didn't we? Well, he had a good movie to work with and he was good in it. Um, he was anyone brave enough to break the fourth wall. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're at this Matera place. Uh, now, I believe they're here just to see Vesper's grave. That's the whole reason they brought them to town because they're sort of there and going, oh, what's going on? Why is everyone burning their secrets off the walls? And they settle in, uh, have a bit of a bit of a romp in the room, a bit of a, bit of a chat. Um, she burns some secrets and then and they head off to see Madeline's, uh, uh, not Madeline, what's her name? Vespa. Vespa's Vespa. grave the next day. Can I, before we move on, I think we need to touch upon this scene because it's it was kind of important. So my French is pretty rusty. So when I first saw what she wrote on the note, I wasn't actually sure if what, what it was referring to and I assumed it was her secret. And... Uh, once I found out what the note said, it the movie m- the makes you think that it's a secret that she's writing, but it's it's really her letting go of the past and her secret uh, that she mentions is something else. So her secret and the mm. note are not really related. So she writes Le Homme Mask, like yep, the man man of the mask. I assume that pre- that yeah. translates to. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think we all thought the same. Like that was her secret. Because she never told him, she just burned it and threw it off the balcony. Yeah. So the it, but she mentions that she will she will 
if he goes and sees Vespa and lets it go, she will share her secrets. Her secret was... We can talk about her secret. We assume that it was the fact that she was pregnant. Yep. Totally preggers. But the porter, as they're walking up to their room, he says... Uh, Bond asks what they're burning, and, and the porter says... Secrets, wishes, letting go of the past. She's letting go of the past there, but she's talking about her secret at the same time, but they're not related. I think mm. that's kind of important. It, 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 the movie head fakes a few times, and this is one of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. So the next day, after they've, you know, had a bit of time there to, to settle in, Bond says, okay, look, I'll let go of my, uh, my past. I'll go say goodbye to Vesper and we'll come back and then we'll have breakfast. So keep that in mind. Everything that comes after this scene, everything he goes through, is doing on an empty stomach. Ooh, that's monstrous. So he heads up to the grave. Um, he asks Vesper to forgive him. And there's this huge blast that just blows him across the graveyard. Like that blast shook me out of my seat. Like I was, yeah, I was not expecting yeah. it at all. And it was a big one. I have no idea well. how he survived it, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> the, um, what I really liked about it is, is after he was shocked, everything was deaf for the audience. So it's just like everything is muffled. You can't hear properly. He's making a phone call. He just hears that tinnitus, that ringing in his ears. And even when he's running along in, on that bridge and the bad guys are shooting at him, he doesn't even know that he's being shot at until he actually gets like a, a, a nick on his arm. He turns mm. around and goes, oh, oh hang on, I'm, I'm being shot because he's still quite deaf. And that's the only thing that alerts him to it. Great chase scene. I didn't notice that. That's, which is great when I think about it, because there's a lot of scenes in this film where he's getting shot at and he's very nonchalant of yes. getting out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there um, what? He's invincible. Yeah. Like Boris. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we thought. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm intrigued about the booby trapping of the grave. Um, I would like to know if Spectre are paying some poor Russian peasant child to sit there with a finger on the button and when he sees a man in a suit press the button or if there's a pressure pad or when you pick the business card up, that has a wire connected to it. What actually sets it off the day Bond is there is some, like, because Blofeld says later, I knew you'd go eventually, I just had to wait. Well, the kid that takes him up to the uh, grave, the one that says, oh, yeah, this is the one you're after, here it is. So he's been there for five years on the Spectre payroll, <laughs> manning the Matera Cemetery. That's a good gig. It's a good gig. <laughs> That's all of the perks of Spectre and none of the killing. <laughs> they got a few kids on the payroll because later on, uh, one of the kids who's looking after the sheep gets a phone call from uh, Spectre says, I'll let the sheep out. Yeah. Which calls me back to something very interesting. <laughs> in which film do we see a slow-moving trope vehicle pop out in the middle of a high-speed chase, which is there to thwart Bond? And you guys, it was a pineapple. That was a pineapple truck. Yeah, it was a Dalton film, but I don't remember which one. It was the one uh, that ended with the the truck on the hill. Um, yeah. Living daylight. Uh, oh, uh, damn it. I'll give you, I'll give you each, if you can get half a point. It's license to kill. I, th- I, I think it happened in Spectre 2 with a Fiat, didn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah that was right. a really good yeah. car chase in Spectre, yeah. <laughs> I like that one with the Fiat. Yeah, it always happens. Now I'm wondering whether or not all of these things, like the old man in the Fiat, uh, the pineapple truck guy, are they all agents of Spectre? 
does that make the sheep ac- uh, spectre agents mm. positioned around the world and and there's someone there saying come on out is isn't his car get in the way the, the great the great Hemingway novel old man in the fiat <laughs> <laughs> cam did you just mention that the the sheep were employees of spectre well i mean by, that's yeah they they might very well be uh, livestock members of of spectre <laughs> They were just effect- as effective as the guy. So, yeah. yeah. Next trope that we see here is uh, this guy called Cyclops. The guy with his- he's got his big eye, from which film we've got some guy with an overlarged eye, like a bionic eye used for uh, accessing things. Ooh. That one's got me. Oh, time down. That's what. <laughs> I'm not even sure which one of these. It's the one where he, they've got the handle like eggs with the missiles and he has to get that eye surgery. It's one I was thinking of. Because you've also got Largo with his eye patch as well. There's a lot of like single-eyed people, but these ones, instead of putting an eye patch, they just show you the cavity of the eye. So I've got a question for you, Dr. Cameron. Oh, Jesus. Is that what the inside of an eye looks like? I do do. <laughs> I think that the, the guy at, uh, I mean, spoilers, but when we get to Blofeld, I think that's a fairly accurate representation. Yeah. That looked pretty realistic, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that that guy that has a some sort of spring-loaded eyeball that he pops back in after it falling on a dusty um, Italian village road and pops it back in, I'm not, I'm not sure how that's how much how good that, that is for you. That would be gritty, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gross. I mean, most people get eyelashes in their eye and it, keeps, it takes them out for a week. I'm not sure how this uh, guy's going. And some great driving by Bond, however. Oh, yeah. Do you see the motorcycle before the one that Bond, Bond gets? You see the headlight. If you have a look at it, uh, like go, go Google an image of it or watch the film again. The headlight looks like the Spectre logo. Look, it looks like an octopus. Oh, it's like a, it's a ring with like two uh, bits in the middle that sort of go sideways. So you got like the head up the top, and then down the bottom part could be where uh-huh. all the tentacles are together. It's kind of like Spectre-ish. I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. nice. You know, that's one that Cyclops has, and then he goes and picks up. Madeline from the hotel is pretty pissed off because he thinks, you know, he's wondering who's, who's, who knows that Bond is there in that town. Madeline's the only one that um, would have that info, so he's not trusting her. So to sort of circle back to what Matt was saying, that, like, it's really interesting when you watch that scene both at the time and in hindsight. I've had two viewings of it now. Um, and you can really see when you watch that in the moment where Bond's coming from in sort of thinking that, uh, Madeline is a part of the plot. Like it's quite convenient. She's out there. She's doing a makeup. The bags are packed. All of that. It all makes sense, and you can actually believe that in the moment. But when you watch it on rewatch, yeah. And Cyclops told him. He's got him. zero evidence, and there's absolutely nothing to really. Well, face. Cyclops told him when he was garroting yeah. him with the clothesline. He said, "She's a daughter of Spectre," and he even says it twice in case you missed it. If you're out buying shoes, or something. and that's but that's known info, right? Though as well, like not that that's it's obviously alluding to something, but that's not new info for him. No, but it triggers that whole you know when I'm at my best, I don't trust anyone. Yeah, exactly. Know? So it's it's just interesting because it's a, just a really well written scene because like depending on what you're thinking, you can read entirely both options into it. Cam, I'll I'll jump onto that as well. When they both get into the car. She says, there's something I need to tell you. And he looks at her and says, I bet there is. <laughs> and if in the first watch, when you don't know what's going to happen, you think, oh, she wants to 
at least confess. Mm. The second watch, I was like, okay, why would she say that? And the only reason I can come up with, which I think is pretty good, is that I'm pregnant. Please don't drive like a dickhead and kill the baby. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, kind of makes sense. Like, does, does that ring true with you? Like, yeah. why she would want to say that at that time? Yes. I, th- I think it's more the fact that she can see him starting to distrust her. And she's saying, why, why would I... Why would I give you that? If, if, if you're going to be like, you know, the dad to my kid, like, you know, trust me. Like, we are onto something here. You know, we're together. We're not... I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to get pregnant and then walk away. So yeah, I think that's that's interesting. I I didn't think that, Matt, but you make a good point. Like it could very well have been that. But yeah, let's talk about this car chase because for the first time in a long time, personally, when I was watching a James Bond car chase, I was actually on the edge of my seat, feeling a sense of dread. And the key thing that I can put it down to is when they're in that square and all the people are shooting at them, and it gets that shotgun. He comes up and he keeps shooting the window at that same spot. And he knows there's a weak spot. He knows it's bulletproof, but there's a weak spot and he just keeps on hammering that same bit. Eventually, he's going to get through. And Bond's just sitting there trying to think, oh, what am I going to do? You know, like, what is going on? He's trying to comprehend everything. And she's begging him. And this whole time, it's just this poof, 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 poof in the glass. And I'm there going, Bond, do something. Yeah, <laughs> do something. I, I'm going to get shot here. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. Because he's just sitting there. Like, it, it does a few things. It, it shows how cool he is under pressure. And how he's not rushed. And it also shows that he's leaving it to the last moment to do something to try and get out of Madeline, whatever he views the truth as being. Oh, he's he's enjoying her distress. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Or using it, at least, if not enjoying it. Like, yeah. I'm going to put a maybe a, 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 an incorrect alternate theory is that he's sitting there, he's numb to, oh, I've been... I've been um, you know, I've had another woman in my life um, betray me and he he's kind of numb to what's going on outside and it's not until she cuts through with do something is when he, he decides to. So, I, I, I thought it could have been read a few a few different ways where he's he was kind of happy to sort of just let it kind of happen. No, I think he was uh, weaponizing her distress. Yeah, that's certainly my yeah, Okay. And glad. Yeah. Oh. I'm kind of with you, Matt. I, I think he was just questioning him, like, figuring out what to do. Like, he's just under the pump. He's like, gosh, his, his whole brain is just messing. He doesn't know who to trust and who to, you know, whether she is bad, is it worth it? You know, I'm just all under, under, under attack here. What's my next move? And then she's, she begs him. I, I agree with you, Matt. And he says, use the headlight guns. Yeah. Trust the headlight guns. That's who I can trust. If, if this is his retirement car, he's driving around, like, with a boot full of bombs Smoke, you know, he's got to make sure the smoke machine fills up every time he goes to the petrol station. Uh, <laughs> the gun, those guns are like loaded. It's like driving around with like 200 rounds of ammunition just, you know, in the bonnet. Like, I assume he has to service those things. Like, well, like I imagine like though that car. like when you go to a petrol station, like there's always a lineup for the, the pumps, but probably the smoke pump is probably not that busy. It's probably not a big lineup for that one. Yeah. <laughs> And I think with your little bombs in the back, you just have to rotate them like tyres, I think. That's all they need. <laughs> just check the batteries in them every now and then. <laughs> Carefully. This donut work, though, that he does where he just, like, spins around and, like, wipes out the whole square so he can then, you know, escape. Like, that's, that's an excellent Bond, you know, move. You know, it's one of the best ones, I think. The trailer used that scene as 
as a bit of a hero scene, and it really harkened back to the older films that have that were a lot more gadget laden. You know, being that the the uh, Daniel Craig era was a little bit more stripped back. This is the most we've seen, most action we've seen from the DB Five as well since Goldfinger. Like yeah. every other car that he's had is just like his retirement car, the classic car. Saying, "Oh, look, you've got one of those." You know, Casino Royale. He had it. He won it in a poker game. He drove it, drove it around the block. Yeah. Like, no, he had a Ford um, Mondeo. Uh, Mondeo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. So, <laughs> it's great to see this car in action. Like they shot it up in Spectre. Mm. Um, oh no, sorry, Sp- Skyfall. They Skyfall. shot it up and destroyed it. But um, but here it's actually you know being a useful car. Uh, he takes Madeline down to the train station. Does a nice little Blues Brothers park where he whips the back around handbrake. Amazing park, yeah. I, th- I think I would like to just just slot something deftly in there if I if I can. When they're driving away, Madeline receives a phone call, oh, yeah. and Bond says to pick it up. Yeah, and. It the screen it's a I mean for starters it's it, it looks like a burner phone because it's a it looks like an old yeah. Nokia it's like a Nokia three phone. Nokia thirty three ten or something yeah. back from the nineties. The screen kind of glitches and turns into the Spectre logo, mm-hmm. and Bond takes it, puts it on speaker, and it's Blofeld saying that you've done you've done good work, essentially trying to uh, incriminate her as being an accomplice. This I've watched this scene a couple of times and. I still sort of struggle with the the idea of it. It's it. There's so many things that have to be perfect for this for this phone call to have had the effect that it did. It had to be opened at a certain time where Bond was there. Bond had to essentially put it on speaker for it to work. It's it's very very like low percentage play. I wonder though if it's because you're right, but I wonder if that's the whole point that he has hundreds of these that we never see because there's yeah. phones ringing at the hotel that he's already left in there's letters being delivered there's phones going off everywhere <laughs> and we're only seeing the couple that are semi-relevant but meanwhile they cut through yeah and blofeld's doing all this with his bionic eye that's his his he internet is? eye yeah, yeah. he's found a way to call and infiltrate that phone you got a good point cam because when they're at the hotel the phone is ringing and they just say get your bags and let's go they don't answer that phone yeah so mm-hmm. That could have been Blofeld's recorded message, just like a recorded message. Well, I think it was. That's exactly what it was. I think it was all just the same thing, that they're trying all these different tacks to try and get Bond to... So, he carpet bombs and one is going to cut through yeah, eventually. Exactly yeah, exactly right. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. That's that's what I reckon. And as soon as we see one, oh, that's inconvenient. Yeah. That's, that's on it like a... Like a <laughs> <laughs> While we're at the train station, I will say from my um, trip to Italy in 2011... The trains are fantastic, and you can sort of jump on, but if you don't have a ticket, the fines are steep, and they and and they'll get you. Um, but my favourite—it's a little bit thrown off the airplay, air, the air, the 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 zeppelin. And no ticket. <laughs> no ticket. Uh, no ticket. Um, the my favourite thing was that the like their city rail um, or their country link or whatever it was was called train. Italia, but train in Italian is tren, T-R-E-N, and the, and the voiceover on the um, so on the station's loudspeaker did it, it kind of blurred it together and said Trenitalia, uh, Trenitalia, <laughs> and it sounded to me like genitalia, and it kept talking about the next Trenitalia service will be. <laughs> 
And that's my lasting memory of the Italian train system. Did you think that was the next Bond villain showing up? <laughs> Trenitalia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Genitalia service coming right up. <laughs> Tell you something I liked about this train scene. Like we've spoken already about when the door closes, she's holding her belly and that so foreshadows something that's happening later when we find out that she might be pregnant at that point. But when the train takes off, Bond stays stationary on the platform. Another stationary reference. Uh, and <coughs> Madeline, she's walking through the train as it's, as it's driving off. So when she's walking, she's basically staying still and you see the windows sliding past Bond. The same way you see the, that little white dot in the gun barrel sort of slide across the screen. Mm. So like window, 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 window with Bond there. And then it goes straight into the song. I think, I don't know if that was a deliberate thing, but it certainly felt like it was. And I thought it was a really nice sort of a, a beautifully shot scene, how the camera stayed still, the train moved, the windows moved. Um, it also blended into Billie Eilish's song. Um, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. What's it, it called? A transition, for sure. It's, yeah, it's called No Time to Die, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I didn't write that down. <laughs> uh, so, what, what do you think of the song? Should we go straight into that? Oh, first of all... Um, that opening sequence was 24 minutes. It's a hell of a, long, a pre-time The longest sequence. by far. Oh, my. I, yeah. I was thinking it must be the longest, but I didn't look it up. Yeah. I want to say the second longest was World Is Not Enough at about 16, 17 minutes or something. But um, uh, that, that came about from when they had the opening scene in Bilbao with his um, – he had that rope thing and he jumped out. And the, they saw oh, that wasn't enough for an opening scene, so they included the boat chase – and they said, that's now your opening scene. That's the only reason that was long. This one was obviously very deliberate the whole way through. At this so. point, everyone feeling pretty good about it? Like, to me, I was in a- I thought this is a pretty solid opening. I was I was liking oh, the direction yeah. that it was going yeah. so far. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Really can't pick any faults with it at all. Thought it was excellent. I actually had goosebumps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I pick a fault with my own viewing of it. You know that when she gasped and held her, her stomach uh, and every single person online goes, well, obviously that's- Telling the audience she's pregnant. Like, I was watching it at the cinema and went, oh, she's heartbroken. That's what I thought, yeah, absolutely. Just a dumb man. (laughs) (laughs) That's not where her heart is. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with me? Why am I hollow inside? (laughs) All right, let's go on with Billie Eilish's song. Um, Thoughts? I like it. I and really like it. The song itself like, can be, The song itself I found fairly forgettable. Pretty forgettable. It was it was fine. Like I think that I I've my problem with Bond songs is that I still expect it to be this big Shirley Bassey like <laughs> large lift loud bit like it build to a crescendo. So when I was listening to it the first time I kept waiting for that to happen. So I was disappointed when that didn't. But on second watching... When it, when it did pick up its... On second watching, when I did see that, or didn't see that but wasn't expecting it, I think it was fine. I It's, you know, absolutely fine. Yeah, I didn't mind the song at all, but I just, like, I didn't walk away humming the tune or anything, no. and I couldn't tell you the melody no. or any of that. Um, it suited the graphics. I, um, I had a... Yeah. I have a bit of a thing against breathy vocals... Uh, and so it sort of didn't really resonate. That's just more her shtick, though. That's what she does. It is her shtick. Yeah. Type of music. 
I think some of the um, lyrics bear interrogating a little bit. The one that I noticed on first watching that I think stands out as an all-time great lyric is the blood you bleed is just the blood you own, which is a fantastic (laughs) line. It's poetry. Oh, it is. So this song came because of all the production delays and then we had obviously COVID there, I had to say it. Yeah, this one was supposed to come out like two years ago. So they released the film two years ago. Around the same time here in Australia, they had um, New South Wales Lotteries had their No Time to Die promotion where you could buy No Time to Die lottery tickets two years ago because obviously that was locked in. They said, oh, well, contract's a contract. Here's your lotto tickets. And they said, well, we haven't got the movie, but okay, let's release it anyway. So that's an old promo that's been and gone. So the movie came out. Sorry, the song came out. I've been listening to the song every now and again, but... When you listen to some of the chords, they're the same chords that are in the same in the James Bond tune, oh. uh, like that. The opening do 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 is the same as do 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 do. do. It's the, so it's those same four notes that repeat each other and they have that set the theme throughout the whole movie as well. I come back, I'll, it grows. I mean, I I love it. I, I think it's great. That's interesting. Hmm. But I um I think it won a Grammy two years before the film came out, didn't it? The song. <laughs> So we briefly uh, touched on the graphics within the film. And my question is... Quiz time. So it's quiz time now. Uh, obviously a lot of references. Now, the very first one, very easily identifiable, uh, as soon as they cut open the song, who wants to take it? Uh, from which film do we see all those coloured dots? Dr. No. There we yeah. go. Uh, hang on. Where's my little ding? That was worth it. I thought that was a really nice touch, to be honest. I, I liked that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that just, my goosebumps got goosebumps when I saw the dog. It'd be better if the, um, the three blind mice were on the train yeah. behind Madeline would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not it. Uh, are there any other references that you guys saw throughout there that you could uh, relate to some of the other films? Uh, Golden, it was some Goldeneye. There were some Tentacles, uh, which was the Sam Smith song had Tentacle Porn. Yep, that's right. Yeah, did. Yep. Uh, yeah, Goldeneye had the big statues. There was also just a little thing with a clock that had uh, like the the Casino Royale. Yes, the playing cards. One I noticed. Yeah, yeah, the suits and yeah. the sort of that's right rotoscoped James Bond white figure. And anything else? Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, there's plenty. There was uh, scuba diving underwater. Yeah. 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 It's from Thunderball. Um, you also got like the sand, like the car that sort of came down and fell in the sand. That was like from Quantum of Solace. Uh, the um, the faces rotating through. I think they did that in Skyfall, uh, where they showed the, the faces of the previous villains. And the hourglass as well was another Her Majesty's Secret Service reference. You know, with the old time ah. world, because when the sand, the car fell through the sand through the hourglass. Um, Visually, I was just sitting there going, oh, that's from that, that's from that, and, and listening to it. And yeah, yeah I, I thought it was great. At this point in the film, I was, I was just very happy with, with my- Yeah, uh, visuals were pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Was the big, the big red circle that was coming up like the sun, it looked to me like the Japanese flag, sort of <laughs> red circle. Or you want to say Japanese movie where he turned Japanese in, I've already dinged you, you got the point. <laughs> he become a Japanese. <laughs> um, I think turning Japanese is a song. Um, oh, what is that one called? It's the Volcano Lair. I can't think of the name of the day. Yeah, you only live twice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, I, 
So I'm the Spectre etc. resident contrarian. I'm going to sort of say that I I don't love this opening because I, I I sort of felt like it it sort of falls short under the weight of its kind of ambitions to reference everything. So it doesn't have its own identity. Like we 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 didn't love the Spectre one with the with the octopus porn, but at least it has its own identity. This was just referencing everything else and I've watched it a few times and just it it I don't love it. What about when it got to the masks, like the Lucifer, say, Sir Finn masks all in a row, like, and they start exploding. That's from this film. I'm not saying it doesn't (laughs) reference anything from this film, but it it doesn't really have its own sort of thing. It's just kind of, I don't know. I I found it sort of like paint by numbers, Bond imagery, call it a day. Like there was so many winks to the camera. At least, I mean, at least it didn't, actually wink to the camera because that was always on the table. Um, I actually I agree with you, Matt. For someone like us, we've city, we've we've endured the whole twenty five films and we've pulled them apart and looked at every bit. Endured. That's, that's something that we've noticed. But I've got a mate at work, he's twenty five and he watched it and he was like, Oh yeah, it's good. I really liked it. But he doesn't know all those older references, especially like from the older films like Majesty's Secret Service. He's never even heard of it. You know, his first Bond was... Uh, um, Casino Royale, a lot of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, so like, he, he got a few of the references, but not all of them. And I think it remained subtle enough for, like, a, a new audience. I think it was, um, it, was, it was good for both audiences. Like, the older people can relate to it nostalgically. Younger people can go, oh, yeah, that's pretty. Five years later... Uh, we're at a secret MI6 laboratory and uh, some pe- bad guys are breaking in. Uh, more great cinematography. Things are upside down and people are breaking in through that window that doesn't break. Literally Mission Impossible. It was great. I loved it. This is where we meet Dr. Orgachev uh, and, and his guys, his, his mates, and they're working in some sort of bio. Why is Borat in this movie? Borat? Yeah. It's, it's Borat. <laughs> I like animals. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what? Why? Why is he in this? Uh, oh, yeah. He's he's the he was the comic relief as well, and the humor was so jarring. I oh, found it's really weird. Yeah, he was no Boris. No. Well, that's the thing. Like he he is like a Boris character, isn't he? He's meant to be. Yeah, yeah. His workmates don't like him. He thinks he's pretty self-important, but Boris thought he was like a tough guy a little bit. But this guy doesn't think that. I love the okay. I do love the idea of like if you're working in a virology at lab or whatever, that you would have jokes that you have someone's lunch and someone's and the virus in the same Tupperware containers, and you're just like, oh, I've you know, I flip the I flip the labeling on it or something. Those, those are some good jokes that I imagine them doing. Did you see where I put that weaponized smallpox? Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I left the anthrax. You know. <laughs> Standard office hijinks. <laughs> so that, that opening conversation where he says, you know, there's more complexity to my tomato soup than both of your brains combined. Was It, it was exactly the same as Goldeneye, if you ask me, where he's turning mm-hmm. around and saying, oh, you, you schmuckheads or whatever. What's he, what, was he, what, was it, what do you call them? Slugheads. You slugheads. slugheads. Okay. Nice. Good memory. Invincible. Yeah. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. It's just I'm better than you. Uh, you're not as good as me. I'm I'm the brains of this operation, and turns out that he's uh, he's a double crossing guy. Yeah. So this Doctor Boris gets a phone call from Safan saying Spectre is coming, 
Now, this is something I didn't pick up until I watched it the second time, but I thought that Safan and Spectre were on the same page until I realised, oh, hang on, no, Safan's actually there because he doesn't like Spectre. He wants to get yeah, rid he, of them. He's the puppet master controlling Spectre and they don't even know he's doing it. Yeah. So he convinces him to download all the Spectre DNA downloads, uh, d- DNA onto the USB and uh, swallow that so that when they kidnap him, he's got the all the encoding that he requires to get Safan's job done. I think you've said his name three different times <laughs> over the last sentence. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and then just before they escape via the, the magnet elevator, uh, like the elevator shaft, before they escape there. Does anyone know where, in which film did the antagonist, is that the bad guy? Antagonist? Yeah. Yes. yeah. In which film did the antagonist get a machine gun and just mow down his employees once he was finished with their services? Oh, Zorin. Um, Christopher Walken. Uh, a view yeah, to a kill. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, when they were done with the bad guys. They were just like, yep, shoot them. They shot the girl with the lunch. They shot the other guy that had to co-do um, the, the coding and stuff. And they went down this very elaborate magnet elevator rather than just like sending a rope down. I don't understand why they had to do that, but, you know, it's still pretty cool to watch. It was an it's incredible cool. gadget. I really liked it. I thought that was, that was like, one like, I don't know. I just like when film gadgets are something you couldn't think of yourself. And, and, but at the same time, as soon as you see it, you understand. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a complexity where you have to rewind and watch again. You just knew instantly, oh, there's magnets and shit. <laughs> mm. And they can turn this on and turn that off. And it's like that ride at Wonderland that used to, you know, drop you real quick and then they caught you with magnets at the bottom. Remember that? Yeah. I do yeah. remember that actually from Wonderland before it shut down in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for safety concerns. Yeah, that one. <laughs> it was the same technology, but it wasn't. It was like, it was just so. I thought the cinematography on it was just cleverly done to get in four and a half seconds. They're at the bottom, and I know how they did it, and and the way they did it was pretty complex. Then they blew it up, and we cut to M in his office where Money Penny's saying, "Look, we've got a situation," and M sweeps it under the rug. He says, "Tell him there's a gas leak." Money Penny says, "I'll tell the PM." M's like, "Nope." Nope, just a gas leak. Nothing to report here. So all of a sudden, Colin's theory from Skyfall where M is bad doesn't look so, you know, too far-fetched anymore, does it? If you remember. Well, that was a different M. Well, you know, the same same M, same character. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I was actually having real questions about how M was involved here and and his allegiances to, you know, the side of good and evil. Um, And that flowed on. Throughout the rest of the film until like right at the end was like, oh, okay, no, they're actually not that bad after all. Yeah, I think it's he's more incompetent than evil. Naive, yeah. <laughs> Naive and also uh, some things shouldn't be, shouldn't be considered. Some things shouldn't be, shouldn't be built because of the potential fallout, yeah. M says, all right, we need to get 007 onto this. Uh, and we cut to Jamaica where Bond is sailing home after a day fishing in the Caribbean. And we assume that this is James Bond. In the world's, world's most over-the-top fishing boat <laughs> of all time. Yeah. That's a great cut, though, because he, M's talking about new 007. Yes. And they fool the audience that James is still on the books in mm. some way. Yep. And it's actually him sending 007 to get James. I thought it was really good. Yeah. 
he notices there's some cigar ash in his house and someone's been there and that's where he tracks down Felix Leiter and his new smiling assassin Logan Ash. And they go to a bar where Felix then asks Bond for his help to get Dr. Boris and this bioweapon on behalf of the CIA, where Bond then reveals that he's actually retired. Cole, let's let's rewind just a little bit, because I think there's some really nice movie movie making here that um, we, I don't want to I don't want to sweep under the rug either. And it's yeah. beca- and it's um, so when we're in Italy, we're not no one. There's only context clues to tell us that we're there. Same with Jamaica. We don't know where he is. He could be anywhere. I suspected Jamaica because of uh, Fleming's uh, ties to the place. Mm. But you get a couple of little clues. And one of them is there's there's a he drives past a cricket ground and someone's fielding um, a hit to the boundary. And it, it's so subtle. And if you do, I guess if you don't know cricket very well, you might not sort of work it out. But then there's some reggae music. And you're like, oh, we're somewhere in the Caribbean. We're probably in Jamaica. And I, I, I kind of love that. Like, instead of just, like, telling us where, we, where he is... We, we're, it's, there's a couple of little clues to sort of, uh, where you just got to piece it together. And yeah. I thought that was really good. I really liked it. There was no need though for that bobsled team to be pushing past him on the road. <laughs> no, like, no, with no, John, on, John yeah. Candy yelling at them. Yeah. That was just, that was hand fisted. Me lucky egg. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to the bar and, uh, they're playing like, so I know, did anyone watch Squid Game? The game yes, on the yes. show on Netflix that came out immensely popular, blah blah blah. A lot of lot of um, coverage in the media. They, it's the same game with the coins. That's right. Yeah. Like, does anyone know how to play that game? Because we never oh. figured out baccarat. So you know, this is for the dummies out there. This is you basically guess the number of coins in the hand. Is that it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Didn't seem to be a high stakes game though. I, I thought it was interesting because this film was made well before Squid Game was made. Yet they both have become popular in in. The late 2021's media <laughs> circus. So I don't know if that's worth a ding or not. Probably not. Um, uh, squid is um, octopus adjacent. Let's get that on the. On the- oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, Bond actually says, "No, I'm not going to help the CIA. Sorry, I'm retired. I'll uh, I'll catch you later. I've got your number. I'll, I'll give you a call." Then he goes home, except his car's doesn't work. I'm glad he wasn't able to drive. He had some liquor. Yeah, he was smashing it down. I'm sure his car wasn't broken. He was probably sticking the key in the exhaust pipe. (laughs) You could also see that in between leaving the bar and getting to the car, he'd obviously stopped off for for something to eat because he was licking his fingers and wiping his hands with a napkin. So he was obviously like coming home from the bar and just like, geez, I'm hungry. I missed breakfast in Italy and I haven't eaten since. And... um. (laughs) Now, now it's time to have, like, a greasy hot dog outside of the Jamaican bar. Yeah, nice. So, uh, 007, oh, sorry, well, Naomi pulls up and says, hey, uh, do you need a ride? And he goes, yeah, sure. He goes, jump on. So, jumps on the back of the, of the bike and off they head to, uh, to Bond's house. She says something about um, that she's actually a diver for old wrecks, mm. which is another boat reference they, they had, had with the – remember that scene in the um, – in the museum where Q was looking at the photo of the boat and he yep. said, oh, look, an old wreck being taken to port. You know, I like how they always refer to, like, the, the shipping wrecks are always, like, a theme in these Daniel Craig films about being an old guy and, you know, Bond's past his, past his time. They, they don't dwell on it too much. This is a nice little, you know, ref they're thrown in there. Bond looks younger in this one than Spectre, though. Yes. Like, <laughs> the shape... The- 
retirement is suiting him well because he looks in he looks in fantastic shape. True. Well, it does look like he's living a hard life though. Like his his but house I, in, house in Jamaica looks pretty pretty schmick. We we said this in the third Craig film, I think it was, but it was sort of like it's kind of a weird character arc he got in that Casino Royale was he he got his first double O kill and became and he was like the young hotshot agent. And within two films, he was um, only one knee works and my back hurts. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. Like Roger Murtor. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've been playing up this, oh, he's old and past it for a couple of movies now. Like it's been a it's been a recurring theme for a few movies. We have to remember movie one, the whole idea was he's the young hotshot. Yeah. So we only got like <laughs> technically like one movie of peak. There was the becoming and then there's been yeah. a long tail end. So yeah. So like Quantum of Quantum of Solace was ironically his probably peak performance period of his career. <laughs> back in the back of the room, uh, they Naomi reveals herself to become I'm a double O and I'm not just any old double O, I'm double O seven. Once they retired your number, I'm the new double O seven. I love that he she said, I thought you you thought they'd retire it. I love it. I just picture them going up to the rafters at a basketball stadium. <laughs> Where do you retire the number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or M yeah. having one of his tuxedos behind glass <laughs> on his wall. Or maybe it hanging in like um, a hard rock cafe or something. <laughs> maybe like like the um, the gun range at MI6, like down the end maybe. I don't know. Like, But also, it's a bit hard to retire a number when you've got, what, nine to choose from if they're double O's. Yeah. Like, you're well, working I mean, with limited... So it can only be 001 to 009. I can't be 0032. No, fun fact. Uh, in one of the books, uh, don't know which one, there's a 0012. Ah. Oh, what? Yeah. And if you go through the films, they do talk about, you know, 009 was an octopusy, 006 was in Die Another Day. Uh, not Die Another Day. Golden Eye. Thanks. They um, make reference to 002 being on a mission somewhere. Uh, I think all the numbers are referenced in the films except for maybe a couple of them, like one and and. Double uh, eight somewhere, yeah, one and five maybe. I'm not sure, but they are referenced in the books, including a double o twelve. No. Once you say double o twelve, it's like oh, there could be hundreds of these guys. You know, double o. That's just inflation, is it? Is that just modern inflation where they're from? I'd like to see the um <laughs> the the I want to see the Reservoir Dogs scene where they're giving them out, and some guys going, "That's easy for you to say, you're double o seven. I'm double o two. It's a bit close to double o shit." <laughs> like, Oh. Uh, so Bond says, no, I'm, I'm not going to help you guys get your um, get your bad guy, you know. Uh, you can tell him to, to go stick it up your jumper and I'll, I'll see you later. Stick it up your jumper. And, and Bond actually calls him and has a chat and Bond says, and M says, oh, it's 007 on the phone. I'm going to answer this. And he's surprised when it's Bond on the phone. And uh, Bond says, no, I'm not going to help you. Then he hangs up and immediately calls Felix and says, all right, I'm in. What do you need me to do? Um, so he's now technically working for the CIA. Also, Bond basically has another hit of scotch in every room that he walks through in his house when <laughs> Nomi's there. So he's not content with all the booze that he sank when he was in town. He's probably still planning to drive. Oh, and let's and and, and sorry, another another great reference. She pulls off her wig. Yes. Yeah. Ah, well, that's probably a good time for. Who's uh... talking? Quiz time. So, in what other movie did you see uh, the uh, agent pull off her wig, Matt? 
Live and let die, my friend. Uh, I watched it recently. Rosie Carver. Yep. Time has not been well. Oh, I thought it was um, Pierce Brosnan after he got out of the torture and he had to take off his beard wig. (laughs) Or or Connery after every scene he filmed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, obviously, we've seen... uh, Bond and Felix at a Jamaican bar before. I'm actually disappointed they weren't drinking Red Stripe. Anyone? Yeah, oh, Dr. Yeah. No. Oh, that's yeah. that's Dr. Very no. Good. We'll take that. And the brand of cigar that he saw at his house. Did anyone pick up on that? The brand that was written on the cigar that he picked yeah. up and goes, oh, that's somebody's the, here. The um, Halle Berry one, right? Yeah. Die Another Day. I'll give you the point for that, okay. uh, Benzo. Um, the Delectados is a cigar. It's when he's there in Havana, he goes, I'm here to catch some Delectados. And Halle Berry comes out and he says, I'm watching a bird and that bird is you. Let's go and feast like animals or something really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, his, his sailboat that he's coming back from fishing from, um, we've seen, especially particularly in the, in the Craig films, I think we've seen a sailboat in just about every single one. There was a Casino Royale one at Venice. There was a sailboat there. At Skyfall, mm-hmm. they were approaching that, um, that island with the, with the dead buildings uh, in a big sailboat as well. And this one was the same sort of shot, just tracking this, this boat through. I thought that was nice. Not to mention the gondola going through Venice that waits for them. St. Mark's yeah. Square. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not paying that one, Cameron. You're not getting a gondola for a sailboat. That's- I also want to call out, is this the first time we've ever seen James Bond wearing a cap? A cap? A Who's cap. he wearing a cap? He's wearing a cap on the boat ride to Cuba. You might be right. Did he toss it onto a hat stand in Money P's office? If not, then no, doesn't. No, it's a cap, not a hat. That's the point. Oh. It's a cap. It's a, it's, a, it's a cap. Well, he has just signed up with the CIA. Yeah. So he's got to Americanize this shit. It looked a little bit weird. It did. It, 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 I don't know if Bond should be wearing a cap. Do you think he's on the payroll for the CIO? When he says yes to Felix, does Felix say, I'll get, I'll get HR to send over the 1098s and the, uh, the con- if you can sign contract. those. Yeah. yeah and we'll yeah, give us the bank account. You'll get paid on Monday the 3rd. Like, oh, I didn't wonder about that. Like, you know, what is, um, whether there's any financial incentive or they're just, you know, whether he's doing it for the love of saving the world. I think you just send them a big invoice at the end of the movies. <laughs> Does he have an income source in Jamaica? I assumed he just, all that money he won in Licence to Kill, he, had, he took some away before he put it in the uh, pressure chamber. I'm not sure. <laughs> From all his gambling, he can just go to the casino and win millions and say, you know, he won $100 million like in Casino Royale. Yeah. He can just go to the casino and, you know, get some money and that's, that'll do him for a fair bit, just as long as he leaves enough for the ante, he'll be right. I'd have another couple of questions. Not directly related to the films, but when Bond is talking to his smiling assassin, he looks at the guy and asks Felix, who's the blonde? Now, you might remember when Daniel Craig was first cast as James Bond, he um, had a lot of controversy. There was all those websites saying, oh, blonde, not Bond. James, uh, Daniel Craig's not my <laughs> Bond, all that kind of thing, because he was a blonde guy. And now he's sort of turning around saying, oh, who's the blonde? You know, like, we're all, oh, <laughs> it's a nice little... Comeback reference there. Then my final one, and this is something that I only picked up uh, this morning when I was preparing for this podcast. What type of vehicle does Nomi take 
Bond back to his apartment on Vespa. Another yeah. callback to. Uh, I did not notice. No, oh, that's good. So I, I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but I thought it was just like a funny Bond car. But um, then I thought, oh, hang on, it is actually a Vespa. So, so uh, yeah, so Bond's now working for the CIA and he takes his sailboat, for whatever reason, I actually looked at the distance from Jamaica to Cuba. It's 200 kilometres. I don't know how long it would take to sail that, but I think he could have got there a little quicker if he didn't yeah. take his boat. Uh, and he goes to Santiago and he meets Paloma, um, played by... Anna de Armas, or Thank however you. it's pronounced. I was, uh, was going to call her Amy, but that's not right. I thought that was the world's worst quiz, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get a point, Cam. Yeah, no. no she, I thought she was, she was great because when she first came up, she was like, oh, this is my first day. Oh, I've had three weeks training. I thought, oh, here yeah. we go with another, another Moonlight. Um, uh, what's, what was that girl's name in that movie? Um, Golden Gun. When she's, um, oh, I'm in a car, I'm flying in the air, you know. I thought, yeah, her, oh, her bum hits, hits the button, all that yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, she was such a klutz. I, yeah, it did feel like it might go that way. I, was I thought, oh, this is a step back. But I thought, well, it's, it's different because most films these days are always making the strong female lead. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is a bit different. But she, I think she really redeemed herself when it came to fighting. Like, she was a great gunsmith and... and Able to get those moves, like to get the bad guys. Yeah. I, thought, I thought she really redeemed herself. Yeah, she steals really every job. scene she's in in this. Yeah, in she's this so movie. good. Like yeah, she crushes absolutely. it. At one stage, Bond looks at her and says three weeks, and she goes, "Oh, I might have fudged the numbers or something." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give so it's take. pretty obvious yeah. that she's actually she's playing yeah, the dips, yeah. but she's actually a lot. Uh, she's a lot more experienced and competent than she lets on. Yeah, yeah. That's her. That's her sort of gig, I guess, is to pretend to be a bit incompetent, and when they underestimate it, she gets them. Yeah. But I was wondering, out of the Bond girls, is is there another one comparable who's completely capable, um, helps Bond in every way, hasn't really got a weak spot, he doesn't bed her, and she doesn't die? I think she's a unique Bond girl. I think usually they end up either dead or in bed or both. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. In bed. And I both. Think- <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. I, I think I had plenty the of order. them. Have, plenty of them. Not in that order. <laughs> plenty of them have uh, wound up in both circumstances. But I was just thinking. I think she's a unique Bond woman, Bond girl, whatever the phrase. She also doesn't get a lot of screen time in this movie. Like I sort of came into this movie expecting it to be, you know, ninety percent. Paloma and very little Madeline turns out to be basically yep. exactly the opposite, um, which I thought was a bit of a surprise going in. And she's a well-known actress as well. Absolutely, they didn't parachute someone in there that's a sort of a you know relatively unknown. No, but did they though, Matt? Three years ago, when she did it, when she did the filming, that was before Knives Out and before uh, the new Blade Runner. I think like. No. She might have been a bit more unknown back then. He, uh, Daniel Craig worked with her in Knives Out. It was his recommendation yeah. for her to get this role in this film. Oh. He's like, oh, you know, I'm working with another girl and I said, how do we put her in for this role? And Broccoli said, okay. And then off they oh. went. And again, I don't know what year anything happened lately. Um, <laughs> but the whole past two years have just been a bit of a blur, I think, for everyone. <laughs> so in this scene, we see Dr. Boris switching the USB, which 
when Cyclops is saying, have you got the DNA? Is it everything you need for your nanobots to come through? And what we don't know at this point as the viewer to target Bond when he comes in. And Dr. Boris is switching it. He puts the USB from his sock. He drops it on the ground and says, oh, yes, we are good to go. We are excellent. I like animals. And he, he puts the DNA for the My spectra wife. agents in there. <laughs> <laughs> So, again, we don't know what the switching is going on, but that's what he ends up doing there. And then, yeah, so Bond and, and uh, Paloma are walking around this party with the little earpieces, so checking out, and they say, oh, this is a Spectre Bunga Bunga. Um, looks like everyone's here. What's going on? And then the spotlight's all on Bond all of a sudden. is taken by surprise. So when Blofeld remotely, somehow using his bionic eye, uh, releases the gas that Cyclops has put through the air conditioning system and... Blayfield says, it's okay, everyone, it won't hurt you, it'll just hurt Bond. Everyone starts dropping dead and sort of bubbling up yeah. like uh, you know, Jim Henson's The Witches. It's, um, it's quite grotesque, actually, but a lot of fun, if you know what's going on, <laughs> which I didn't. My understanding is from a conversation with you, Ben, so this is the, the moment you decide to walk out and get another drink or something. <laughs> so you miss this whole scene, is that right? No. Good instincts, Benzo. Yeah, well done. Come back, what's going on? <laughs> I'm about to do that now, actually. I've got to get another drink now. <laughs> I, I won't miss anything while I'm going right. <laughs> so after it's sort of realised that, look, okay, the Spectre guys are dying and, and Bond is alive, they've got to get out of there. They grab the scientists, except you've got the MI6 wanting the scientists, you've got the CIA wanting the scientists, and there's also bad guys just shooting at everyone. And they have this, uh, this huge fight scene between the three different parties, basically. Um, at one point, I thought the CIA, like I thought Bond was shooting at Nomi, 007, which made me think mm. that she might have been bad. So I was a little confused, but on the second viewing, I was like, oh, no, it's actually kind of clear that I was wrong. But this was one of those times Matt was mentioning earlier where um, Bond is just in the middle of a street, completely exposed. People are shooting at him, and he's just sort of picking them off. <laughs> he doesn't even crouch or flinch or nothing. <laughs> Well, again, and this is just after he stops again, just after the fight to have another switch of, yeah. oh, of scotch. That, that, that like he's, like he's playing pool the way to the and just needs well, to be in that forget. right zone to start shooting yeah. at people. Cause it's- mm. I love the scene when they have their first martini and she just smashes it down like she's <laughs> yes, nervous. Yeah, she does. Um, what, what I would say is uh, this whole... So this whole scene I was, I was actually a little bit confused with, but I was also a bit thrown by the idea that, that both the CIA... And MI6 know that there's a, a Spectre, basically a a, 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 a team corporate uh, day for Spectre, and they MI6 sends one agent and yes, and CIA sends two. That's under undercutting it a little bit, isn't it? No, yeah, they should have dropped a, a bomb from the sky on the whole place. Yeah, like yeah. Well, they did that at the end of the film, Benzo. <laughs> a little late though, right? Yeah, you know, they, they are this listening is to all us. Just Spectre in one location, and we know what's happening. So let's send in a guy with an earpiece. But the funny thing is, this whole scene, like it's it's so like it's it's a really good scene. But when you think yeah. about it, so over the top that it's just this yeah. eyeball being walked around on a <laughs> yeah. on, on a, a pillow. pillow. <laughs> but when you think of that in context, if you read that in the script, you'd be like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> no way that's... But it works. <laughs> it actually works. Yeah. And yeah. it also, like, calls back to when they, in one of the earlier scenes with M, when they cut to Blofeld's jail cell 
and they think he's just mad because he's sitting there talking to himself. But it's yeah. just because he's living this other life through his bionic eye and he's just communicating with all the other agents in the field. But that still just wasn't picked up by anybody in MI6. So he's just living this entire external life and they just think he's crazy talking to himself. It's actually really well done. I agree. Let's talk about the eyeball. Let's have a little, just a little thing into the eyeball. Does the eyeball, so it must have a speaker, right? It must have like a, a thing where, or a microphone, I should say. I think it does have a speaker. Because yeah, it can, can hear. Voice. Yeah. It can produce noise and it can hear noise. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So this eyeball doesn't run on power. It sort of sits in his eye and it has a speaker and a microphone. You don't think it has a lithium battery in it or something like that? Where's he charging his lithium battery in? Uh- I have wireless charging for my phone. <laughs> I can just sit it on that. And- <laughs> Matt, you can make a battery with an orange and a copper wire. Like, why couldn't he just, like, recharge his special bionic eye using his voltages that he has within his person? Good. I, I, look, you've won me over. <laughs> Static electricity. Cameron, you're a doctor. Do we have, like, yeah, do we have, like, could he shuffle his feet in, the, uh, in his cell and generate enough electricity to recharge his bionic oh. orange eye? That's a good question. Don't know. Yeah, he gets his sock. His socks <laughs> on the carpet, like. Uh, and- <laughs> so, so would the microphone pick up every time he blinks? <laughs> and make this sort of like wet sort of. <laughs> it's just like a. I'm blinking. I'm blinking. Just tap tap. Like in the Simpsons uh, when they all they, they, they get rid of the coloured chalk and they all just blink in unison and you can hear it. Oh, <laughs> Skinner's like, sad. I love that sound. <laughs> So Bond gets uh, Dr. Boris, Dr. Yeah, I'll just call him Dr. Boris, and um, steals 007's plane and, and heads off. But before we leave the scene, I'd just like to cover. That's going to get tired soon. Uh, look, soon. we've got a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> Within the scene, at one stage, Paloma steals, he says... Uh, she grabs a car and drives it into a power pole. Uh, that same car does make an appearance in an earlier Bond film. Does anyone know where that 1957 Chevy first made its appearance in the Bond franchise? It's in one of the Connery ones in that car chase where it's edited to make it look like it's a high-speed crash and it goes. it's clearly done very slowly. <laughs> uh, That's not Dr. No either, is it? It is Dr. No. Well I done. remember that one. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of the yeah. It's actually the first car that Bond drives after he goes to the airport. Says, "Just take me for a ride," and he uh, flips the guy out, and then he takes the car to the um, the uh, embassy. He says, "Oh, he's just dead tired or something." <laughs> like that. That's a good that that's a good callback to an earlier film. That's like it's not in your face or anything. And like the like you said, like new people to the film art don't lose anything by not seeing it. But, like, yeah. diehard fans also get a little, oh, look at that. And speaking of diehard fans, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. There is one scene where Bond's up on the second level and he grabs the bad guy and they fight. They fall off the balcony and the camera follows them off the balcony and drops them down and they, and they crash on the bar below. Mm. I mentioned in our recording for said film that uh, the same thing was, men- it was uh, shown in Die Hard 5. A good heart, good day to die hard. I think it was one in Russia, anyway. And around the same hard year, hard day was, to die good. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever watched it to confirm. <laughs> <laughs> but that same shot was repeated in one of the Bond films, one of Craig's Bond films, Casino Royale, isn't it? When they're um, fighting, uh, 
It's no, that not, sort of that parkour sort of scene. No? No? No. Mm. It's in uh, Quantum of Solace when they're running on the rooftops and they go to that bell tower and there's that scaffolding room and they crash through the roof there of the scaffolding. And then he grabs, he's tied up at the oh, right and he grabs the, the gun on the ground. Just before the title sequence in Quantum of Solace. Uh, just after. You could, you could recount uh, that entire film for me and I'll just be like, huh? <laughs> but it's, it's exactly the same shot. And it is a unique shot. So it's, it's not just, you know, a move, but it's actually quite, um, if you put them side by side, they're almost exactly the same. So the last question for this scene is Palomic gives Bond a metal cigar and says, for Felix. Just before they leave. In what other film did Bond have a cigar in a metal case and give it to someone as a gift? Uh, the Dalton one with Sharky? Mm, no. No, it was Tomorrow Never Dies from that scene in Bill Bow when he goes back and gives it to Money Penny. She goes, Oh, I know just where to put that. And throws it in the oh. bin. <laughs> I didn't write it. I'm just. <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> I will. You can go back and watch Tomorrow Never Dies. Nope. <laughs> so, so Bond steals 007's seaplane and her doctor and goes off to the boat in the middle of the ocean where um, uh, he meets up with Felix and Logan Ash. And uh, Bond's quizzing the doctor saying, how did you, how did you know who's there? Who's, who's, Spectre? who's trying to kill Spectre? What's going on? And Logan's trying to, like, shut him up. And this is where we find out that Logan's actually the bad guy. I knew it the moment he was on the damn screen he was not to be trusted. So this is not where I found out anything. This is where Bond caught up to me. <laughs> he smiles too much. <laughs> Did anyone see that Get Smart episode called Simon the Likeable? Where the bad oh, guy was just fuck. this guy with a smile. I used to love Get Smart. Oh. I haven't seen it in 30 years. <laughs> Nor do I surprisingly know them by episode name. Oh, no. Which season, Cole? Anyway, that's who this guy reminds me of. But find out he's bad and he ends up uh, in a struggle. He shoots Felix and locks him in the, uh, locks the two of them in the bottom of the boat, steals the doctor and off they go, but not before he sets a bomb off. And... Um, and Bond and Felix uh, have a bit of a moment, and and Felix does die. Um, that was hard. I didn't expect it at all. I really, uh, yeah, I like Felix, and I like this is my favourite Felix lighter of all oh, of them. One hundred percent, yeah, best fe- favourite Felix, yeah. And I wasn't ready for him to die. It, it I guess, it kind of makes sense in hindsight after the film. Um, yeah. But he was there at the beginning. With the, with the, he's been through the whole arc. Mm. He's my favorite Felix, and it, it was it was hard to see him go because he was a, a really genuinely, you know, easy guy to like. Genuine yes. Felix Slider. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice when he died and he, he was in the water and he sort of um, floated away and Bond sticks his head underneath. He sort of watches him float away the same way that Vesper floated away in yeah, the. It was exactly the same. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, so Bond gets out through the hatch and uh, he finds himself a life raft floating around in the debris. And um, he's just, yeah, sitting in the life raft in the middle of the boat, in, in, the, in the ocean, and the boat comes along, rescues And he's him. holding the cigar. Well, that's what he was supposed to give to Felix. He's not allowed to smoke yeah. on the boat, you see. It says no smoking, so he's got to hold on to it <laughs> another time. <laughs> um, the next scene where... So the next scene is... 
the garage door going up and him getting his car in London. Yep. And I know you don't want to, you don't want to show how he gets rescued and catches a flight and then, you know gets some some snacks while he's waiting. <laughs> sort of but I still found it really jarring. It was a um, bad segue. It did not make sense at all. I don't know how you get around that. Like a, I, I, I don't have. I can't give them a, a better. I can't give them a solution how to make that not so jarring. But it was very jarring. Well, there's a giant freight container ship in the middle of the ocean. Like he's he's there in the ocean in his in his lifeboat by himself. And you think, oh, how's he going to get rescued here? Giant boat comes along, honks its horn, and says, "Yep, we're here." So it's assumed that, oh, okay, great, he's been rescued. I don't need to see him climbing up the ladder and saying, hi, my name's James. Can you please give me the lift to the nearest? Uh, I, I struggle to believe a ship that large would see him in the water even. I mean, it just doesn't make... Like, here's my theory. The boat's yellow. Is that the cigar is a... Not a cigar, it was a tracking device. And MI6 used it to send a ship. <laughs> sent, sent its freighter after it. <laughs> Well, any vessel in the area, go to this beacon. <laughs> Notoriously easy to turn around tankers to send after one person. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right, well, though. Normally, that, like, you don't need to see him picking up, but normally they show him arriving at a destination, like making landfall at the dock or whatever, um, to give some sort of context of him arriving continuity. in the country. Like, when he opened the garage and got to the car, he was wearing, like, whatever they gave him on the boat, like the coveralls or whatever they were on the boat. And my first thought, or the first time I watched it, he, the roller door opens and he's wearing that. And I was like, oh, that's what they gave him on the boat. And there's the car. And, I, and that's when I thought, is this an MI6 boat? And then he drives into London. And I thought, oh, I've lost me. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a really bad segue. That was the... Uh, one glitch. Just needed a bit more context, I think. Yeah, that's what you needed. The, the film to be longer than what it was. <laughs> hey, it's a good movie. I'm happy for good movies to go long. <laughs> it's the shit ones I don't like when they're long. It's not the first time that Bond has been rescued in the middle of an ocean while sitting in a uh, an inflatable yellow raft. Does anyone know from which film Bond was rescued by a naval vessel? I'll give you a hint. It was a submarine. And the submarine popped up underneath him and he's sitting on top of the, the boat. Oh, popped up it's and he Roger got rescued. Moore yes. And it is. Oh. It's not Moonraker, is it? Yeah. What about. I was going to say Thunderball when. Doesn't the plane. The plane comes and cuts. Something and picks him up. <laughs> yeah, that was the, like a, the Skyhawk thing. Yeah, the Skyhawk thing. Okay, well, this is going to be a thing. We're just going to be naming Roger Moore films. Was it um, <laughs> the Saint? Was it the Spy Who Loved Me? <laughs> the Saint. Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> uh, it was uh, you only live twice. That he popped up, and they rescued him. But it was the same boat, same type of shot, except for the fact that there was it did, the freight container didn't come up underneath him. That would have been a bit too much. <laughs> That would have been. <laughs> and while we're in the garage as well, you see this ceramic bulldog mm-hmm. as well, which is, that's, this is an easy one. Yeah, Skyfall. Skyfall. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I think Matt was just in there with that one. Uh, oh, oh the wrong, wrong sound effect. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. Got to fix that up. Uh, and this car. 
Like I was expecting another DB5 because he's been to the garage before and opened up the, the garage many times with his DB5 and I was kind of expecting that. And I was really pleasantly surprised to see the Aston Martin V8 from, I think it was 1987. Oh, I love this car. It's an awesome car, isn't it? And which film? Did he drive one of these earlier? Oh, uh, The Living Daylights? Daylights? Very good, yes. Well done, you guys. I had no idea. (laughs) And it's even the same number plate as The Living Daylights. Mm. Yeah. So, um, when he's driving his car around, I thought, this is a really nice way because now that's a heritage car. Like, if he was driving that in New South Wales, he'd get, like, a cheap registration if he joins a motor club. (laughs) This is... It's over 30 years old. He can... It's now considered a classic car, whereas at the time it was, you know, just like the, the fancy new Assassin Martin they had on the on the books. I assume they're changing those laws, though. Like when I had the classic car when it was thirty years old, like they're better off changing that law to say now it's forty, now it's fifty, now it's <laughs> yeah. sixty. Like a classic car's a classic car, you know. You can't have a the VK Commodore. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, my 1987 Ford Telstar is yeah. quite classic status. Is it also still running, Matt? Uh, that's that's long gone. That 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 girl, yeah, indeed. So Bond takes his uh, V8 and goes off and meets M. Has a little conversation about his big desk. Um, first time that yeah, M and I oh know they had the conversation on the phone, but the first time they on actually the meet, and it's nice that they have this like interplay with 007 walking him in, and. Uh, and, and saying good day, and Bond having to name himself at the front desk to get his visitor badge. That's so badge. good. It's yeah. so yeah. good. This whole this whole string of scenes is fantastic. Yeah, I liked it a lot. The the way it turns the Bond James Bond thing on its head, where he has to do it to be recognised, is just perfect. All the 007 like references, like people coming up and giving uh, Nomi files and saying, "There you go, 007," then noticing Bond and going, "Ugh." Yeah. And him wearing a visitor's badge. Visitor pass, yeah. The the scene with in M's office um and the antagonism between them when he finds out why uh th- about the the nanobots. Is this the nanobot scene? This is the nanobot no, scene, no, isn't it? No. 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 We don't we don't know why, but it, that scene there is is really really good like it's uh the, about the desk and if the man is shrunk and it's it's fantastic. And Bond picks on him about his drinking. Which, yeah, pot yeah, I mean, kettle black there. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Is it what? <laughs> <laughs> so you like a drink, do you? <laughs> God, you're thirsty today. And I got to say, Ray Fine's portrayal of the character was so good. He was he was pissed off. He was angry at Bond. He wasn't putting up with it. He puts his gruff. You know, you don't talk to me like that. 007 was just like Robert Brown or Bernard Lee, like when the earlier. Bond uh, M's from like the Connery era they're just gruff and not putting up with Bond's shit and that's I really loved how it's gone full circle it's back in that wooden office um, yeah back to the the old Bond that, that the padded doors exactly yeah yeah then uh, as Bond's leaving he tosses his visitor's badge in the in the bin next to Moneypenny in some way he's sort of throwing things around her office yeah it's the in every other film for the, this movie so Moneypenny invites Bond to dinner but they end up going to Q's place. And speaking of humour, like when they press the buzzer and Q's like, oh, wonder who that is at the door. He opens up the, the camera and there's that slightly fish-eyed lens through the screen of the two of them like yeah. peering in with the eye. I like it. I, oh, that was, it was excellent. It was funny without being over-the-top comical. It didn't turn it into an Austin Powers film, but it just sort of added no. like a little light-hearted 
element to um to you know to, to the scene i thought it was great yeah it's kind of funny because of who bond is that he's doing that like he's just regular guy instead of bond yeah, yeah. so uh yeah q's cooking dinner um or yeah, he's got a he's got company coming over as well and it's I think it's good how they sort of address the fact that he's coming in 20 minutes because I think Ben Wishwar, the actor, he's actually gay in real life and they've sort of done the same thing with Q, but it was just done subtly and no one cares. It's just, a, you know, great, okay, good. Well, we need to sort out what this nanobot stuff is. Tell me what's on this disc. And that's when... I, I like this, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was done really well, really nice. And you also get to see Q's cats, which he mentioned, I think, in an earlier film. He's got two cats to feed and a mortgage. Yeah, he does. And one of them is hairless. Yeah. At least yeah. one of them is hairless. Like Mr. Bigglesworth. Bond said um, they come with fur now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they find out. I think they just encrypt the, uh, the, what do you call it, the USB, and they find out that there was Spectre agents listed on that. But now the whole hard drive that Dr. Boris has is not just Spectre agents, but Moneypenny says there's been some breaches in DNA files everywhere and, and um, all around the world. So they've got MI6, they've got, you know, uh, ASIO, they've got um, the KGB, the Yakuza, who are all the other bad people around the world and, and all the government agents. They're, they're gathering in this database and they've got this information. That Five Eyes program from a couple of movies ago. Indeed, yeah. Mm. So they realise, okay, this is, this is a real problem. We have to go to Blofeld and find out who wants you dead because... This person here is in charge of all the nanobot stuff. So, Cole, just to interrupt for a sec, whilst Q is doing all of that, Bond has helped himself to the wine that um, Q was going to use on the date and just starts handing it out to everybody in that room that isn't Q. (laughs) (laughs) You can take take the man out of MI6, but you can't take... Yeah, you can't get rid of Bond, Bond's natural instincts. But that is where um, we start, this sequence of scenes is where they start explaining nanobots um, between here and the visit and all this sort of stuff. So the actual first mention of it is actually in, the, um, in M's office. It's not even mentioned here. It's mentioned in M's office for the first time, which is oh. over halfway through the movie is the first mention wow. of the words nan- nanobots. Is that right? Yeah, it's... We'll, we'll get to it. I've got some theories on this at the end that I'll get to, but... Uh, well, you, you are a doctor. Can you, without spoiling your theories, can you tell us, is a nanobot an actual robot? Like, is it a microscopic bit of metal with, like, a propeller? Or like, I don't know, like, is it a mechanical thing or is it a biological thing? I, I might This is a serious question. I don't actually know. But I could be wrong. I thought they were mechanical. Holy shit. You know we've done this before, right? Have we? <laughs> oh. Pretty much the, this, this exact thing happened and we asked Cameron about, uh, I think about Smart Blood, which had nano <laughs> for the last one. And we asked Cameron, can we do this? And Cameron's answer was something along the lines of, look, if you can get it to the size of a red blood cell, I don't see why not. Uh, so we've done. We've been oh, over this. Geez. That's a fair point. Yeah. It was five years ago, Matt. Give us a break. It was five years ago. <laughs> For anyone listening to this podcast in order, it was like you know a couple of hours ago. But yeah. okay, I might have jumped the gun on on dropping the nanobot. I might have jumped the gun on that. But I thought it was in this sequence, and I, I'm itching to learn about it because I'm really confused. By it. Well, it is important to know because the next scene, uh, 
we, well, we find out that the psychotherapist that Blofeld will talk to, the only psychotherapist, mm-hmm. is Madeline Swan. So we cut to Madeline, and she's having a meeting with Safan, but she doesn't realise who it is. She just thinks it's a new customer, a new patient, sorry. Um, customer. And he <laughs> reveals himself to be the one that uh, killed her mum and rescued her from the ice many years ago by showing him that Phantom of the Opera mask that he has in that box he carries around with him. Um, and he says, I need you to kill Blofeld. Can you take this perfume, which is nanobot technology, get close to him because you're the only one that can get close, get close to him. And, and touch him. And touch him. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Which she doesn't want to, but she does. Well, he threatens her daughter. Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm, she says, why should I? I said, because I'm willing to kill who, what you love the most. And she, she pretends, oh, I don't love anyone. Everyone I love is already dead. And he just says to her, well, we both know that's not true, so let's not dance around this bullshit. And she goes, give me the perfume. <laughs> we'll probably get to it more at the end, but he's very good in this scene, Rami Malek. Yeah. He's, yep. he's sufficiently creepy without being over the top mm. as well. Understatedly creepy. So next week, she meets with Bond. So the two of them met now for the first time in five years. And the two of them go to integrate, interrogate uh, Blofeld. That's where Bond touches her on the arm and he gets the nanobots within his bloodstream. Did she refuse to shake his hand at the start because she didn't want to give him the nanobots or because she was being cold? I thought she was being cold, but you didn't touch on something interesting. Yeah, that's... Because if he hadn't grabbed her, he doesn't get the nanobots, right? She kept her distance the whole time and and we're thinking cold fish, cold fish, but really she also knows I've got this poisonous shit on me. I don't want to touch anyone. Yeah, Mm. that's interesting. You might be right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm more asking than telling. I'm not Mm. sure either, but... I thought I thought that might be the real reason she was aloof. I think it's one of those things that it's left up to the audience for us to decide. You know, they try to make it ambiguous deliberately uh, so we can say, oh, she's being cold. And then when you watch it again, you're like, oh, no, it's because she's got stuff on her. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh, no, she's actually just being cold. Um, so, yeah, both really. There is a lot of unclear motivation in this movie. She gets cold feet when she gets close to Blofeld and says, no, I've got to get out of here. This is, this is too much. I don't want to. I don't, not, don't want to get involved. And that's when Bond grabs her wrist and, and she goes home and he has a little chat to, chat to Blofeld and Blofeld gets to him. Uh, Bond ends up losing his cool and, and strangles him or chokes him, puts his hand around his neck and says, die, Blofeld, die. Um, this scene... Which is German for the Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> No one who speaks German could be (laughs) (laughs) With a dry cool wit like that He could be an action hero (laughs) This this choking scene where he says Die Blofeld is actually taken straight From the book You Only Live Twice Um, We haven't I obviously didn't see that in in the film Adaptation but but yeah, the, the whole scene is taken from it. And he doesn't kill. He turns around and he says to Tanner, look, I know what I'm doing. I know how to interrogate a victim. It's okay. I was just, you know, threatening him. They turn around and goes, oh, he's dead. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> my, my bad. My bad. Um, that whole scene of Blofeld being brought out of that prison in this little conveyor belt. Oh, Hannibal Lecter style yeah, trolley. Exactly. Thing. It's, it's very cool. 
I, you know, the yeah. lighting is he's coming up the corridor. Um, he's just got that sort of expressionless look on his face. It's an- again another awesome scene. Yeah. Adding to the tension that that uh, Madeline really wanted to get out of there as well. Like it added this frantic sort of mm. sort of feeling as as it slowly approached. Yeah. What I will say is, um, I think the the conversation they have doesn't really it, it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of sense on repeated viewings when he's saying that the the, the secret she has is gonna is gonna kill him and all that sort of thing. And you find out what what her secret was. I was like, uh, that was probably over overstating it a little bit. Do you mm-hmm. did you feel that? Like it didn't really make sense given that the secret was that she had a daughter with him. But it was kind of alluding to something else, maybe more elaborate or worse. Thoughts? I well, Bond talks about. He says, "I'm not going to lose control when I see Madeline," and then, but we don't really sort of see what Madeline is thinking. She, you know, she might be thinking the same thing that I'm going to stay cool and calm, but maybe she is losing control because Bond did leave her not because he wanted to, but because he felt like he couldn't trust her. But she knew that she could be trusted. She knew she wasn't the daughter of Spectre. Bond left her, and it's going to be very confronting and very difficult for her to see him. So. This whole time might have been overwhelming for her. don't know. I think it, the only thing I can kind of think of was the idea that he'd wasted five years of his life without her. Mm. Um, yeah, based yeah that's on, what he's getting, getting at. Based on, based on a lie. But, I mean, it's, that's, that's not the thing that, will, that would kill him, uh, metaphorically speaking, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, Blow, Blofeld's motivation there is a bit hazy. It's like, yeah, I just wanted the girl you love to leave you so you'd be... Stuck in a little world of your own, like I'm here in my little world here in this jail, and it's kind of no. I was fucking living it up in Jamaica. I was sailing and fishing and drinking whiskeys and driving past the cricket. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> You're in fucking Belmarsh. What are you talking about? <laughs> and that's also, and obviously, Cole. This will be the next thing you probably mention, but we have do see him without his uh, robotic eye at this point. And he yeah. he looks uh, he bears a lot of a resemblance to kind of classic Blofeld for want of a better phrase. Yeah, he's got the scar the same as um, uh, the guy from the volcano lair, Donald Pleasance, was it? Yeah, yeah. And you only live twice. And while we're talking about uh, you know Blofeld, Christoph Waltz is the only one of two actors to reprise a role in concurrent films. Do you know who else? played Blofeld in two films. There's only one other actor that's done it. They've got a new actor for each one. Uh, it is a little bit out of left field. It's one of Benzo's favourite characters from... Is it Telly Savala? No. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> no. Oh, it's the... Oh, f- bloody hell. Jesus. It was Anthony Dawson, who Benzo called Arthur Dent. So he was Professor Dent from Dr. No. But he came back and he played the hand of Blofeld, yes. I think, in Russia with Love well, the- and possibly Thunderball. I'm not sure what the other one was. It was incredible. Wasn't he, so the, to look up. Wasn't he the feet as well, like oh, walking yes. away or something? Like yeah, it was just amputated <laughs> limbs here or there. I forgot about that. And he's the only other guy to repeat it. So, really, Christoph Waltz is the only person to play Blofeld in two films. It's the same actor playing the same character um, okay. that we see the face of anyway. But, yeah, the, the eye scar, I think, is great with... Um, you know, referring back to those older ones. After Bond kills Blofeld, oops, he then goes to uh, go back to see Madeline. And he um, goes to her house. It's now out of the winter. I like it how it's the same house, but in a different season with, like, 
there's no snow around it's all it's all green and and lush yeah there's a and, lake um, instead of the iced overlay instead of the ice exactly yeah. yeah nice uh and that bridge that he drives over on the way there which we come back later to see in the in the in the car chase and we'll get back to that but that bridge is phenomenal it's such a good bridge it's beautiful yeah because with the with the pandemic and the lack of travel, I've been having a little bit of itchy feet for wanting to go places. This <laughs> film, I tell you, like Bond films always have good locations, but this one, my goodness, they were just some of the locations were just intoxicating. Yeah, I mean they could have they could have um, set this movie ten k's away from my house, and I would have, would have got trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ooh, Bankstown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think before we move on, I, there's probably just a couple of little things that are probably important. Um, there's a there's a line, probably my favourite line in the whole thing is M saying, and Q, hack into Blowfield's bionic eye. Yes. And <laughs> there's a, a scene where he's uh, he's sitting in, fr- in a darkened room in front of a computer with an eye sort of floating in this uh, this magnetic field and he's eating like gummy worms. And hacking into this eye and going through all the all the footage, and that's where he finds uh, and does a match for Logan Ash. Yes, and that's uh, yeah, and I think a lot of the eye, the, the footage, the eye footage, was actually linking up with Cyclops's eye footage as well. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Cyclops. It's, it's important because uh, because of the next scene, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is the scene also where Bond finds out that uh, Madeline has a child named Mathilde, and. His, with blue eyes. With yeah. blue eyes. I, I love how he's just shocked. So his eyes are just his eyes are wide open, going, Oh, yeah, you know, look at the eyes, you know. And then she says, Come downstairs, I want to show you something. He says, Another child. And <laughs> so what does uh Matilda roll down the stairs? A slinky. A slinky. A slinky. And a slinky is what? A spring. A coil. A shape of a helix, yes. Ooh, and trusted doctor. DNA picked that one up. is a double helix. Oh. Uh, so the fact that there's one helix there might just speak to something. You could take that either way, but just put that in the back of your mind there. Okay, yeah, that's right. good. I, I really like that. I really, really like that. Can. The best I came up with was when that bionic eye sprung open in Matera and there was a spring there. I thought, oh, there's another slinky with a spring. <laughs> I thought that was a reference, but yours kind of makes more sense. With it, obviously, there's a lot of thought that goes into this film for those types of things. Mm. I did think, what's the point of the slinky? Like, why is that there? And I thought, oh, it's just a child's toy. But mm. It felt yeah. significant and I meant to go back to it and I never did. So I wanted to find out what it meant because I don't think there's really a lot in this film that doesn't reference something. Mm. Yeah. It's not. It's not picked. And it, it's not random. No, I don't think it is. Definitely. So Bond is just is infatuated with this girl. Is uh, actually cooking for her. So, sure, his culinary skills now are just peeling an apple and saying, "There you go, have an apple." But <laughs> in what other film do we see Bond in the kitchen preparing food? Or a lady. Uh, so it, oh, it's, it's, is the- Does coffee count as food? Yeah, I was going to say coffee. Is that that one? Yeah, I was thinking of making coffee in the... Oh, that's probably more intricate. Actually, no, this is something more intricate than just a, a cup of coffee, even though it was a very fancy device. Yeah. Ooh. Making food. 
can't believe you guys can't remember his quiche that he whipped out in <laughs> that Golden Gate film. At the very end. Oh, you know, oh, kill. Yeah. Yeah, he's just oh. saying, no, it was not the very end. It was near the end. No, it was in the oh, middle. Yeah, like, they was, were being chased by yeah. bad guys and goes, oh, here's a quiche. I hope you like yeah. it. <laughs> I totally forgot about that quiche. Yeah, well. That's oh. all I saw because he's standing behind the bench. He's just preparing the food. And I thought, oh, he's just short of an apron here and it's exactly the same. Yeah. And when he cuts that apple, how is he cutting that apple? Uh, with a knife. In yeah, the shape of. He's peeling it into one long spiral. Ah. Which shapes like a. Double yeah, helix. DNA helix. Yeah. <sighs> Good work. Mm. So Bond makes a couple of phone calls and finds out, you know, where's, where's 007? Where's, where's Nomi? And they say, oh, she's chasing Logan Ash. I'll send you her location. She's near you. And he goes, what do you mean she's chasing me? She's supposed to be over near, you know, chasing Logan. Then I realize, oh, hang on. Logan's coming in close to me. We've got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So they jump into the Pajero. No. Uh, it's a Toyota. Prado. Hey, before we start going on about... But no, sorry. I think this is perfect. Bond's using a Nokia. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Obviously, he's... With the film and the product placement, it's whichever phone company gives the most money, they're going to get used that phone. But the the choice to go Nokia, I was really surprised by. I don't even know that Nokia made film uh, phones anymore. Obviously, I do. I guess I, that's the point. No, I think there's a I think there's a strange scenario where you can kind of purchase like the name has been kind of sold off because it would. This is not going to make the podcast, but <laughs> Microsoft bought bought the Nokia phone business uh, like a decade ago, and I think they ended up selling it off. And I think there's a bunch of Chinese OEMs that use the Nokia name in phones anyway. And Microsoft is headed up by Bill Gates, who is in charge of the nanobot technology that's been in the but COVID the vaccination, yeah. and therefore uh-huh. it's all full circle now. Maybe maybe this will make it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really surprised by that. Like. I mean, Apple or Samsung are the big players, obviously, in the phone business. And you think one of them... It's usually been so- Sony, though, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah it has was... been Sony a lot, but that's because Sony owned... Yeah, they were the, the, the distributors, company, yeah. They? Didn't, yeah. They didn't get a look-see. It was universal. Maybe it's because they're up in um, Scandinavia and just Nokia's just growing yeah. trees there. They just plucked one off the list. Ah, Nokia's growing trees. <laughs> <laughs> And they jump into the, what did you say it was, a Prado? I, th- I think it's a, it's a Toyota, but it's an older one. I thought it was an interesting- an old Land Cruiser? Yeah. Or- yeah. It's, but it, it's great because it's just like a family wagon. It's not a yeah. fancy million dollar you know, DB5, uh, DBS that you can't yeah. buy. His Bond car was there next to it. <laughs> Should he have got into the Bond car? No, it's, got, it's a child seat, Benzo. The child seat, yeah. <laughs> Can't you say, put the kid on your lap? I've got bombs no. in the boot. I don't know. Johnson. <laughs> you also don't have a kid, do you, Benzo? You know. Look, mate, I, I don't have kids, but have you ever tried to take a child seat out of the car? Like, people oh. are like, oh, fuck this. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so much trouble. Yep. Just, just tell the, the kid to hang car, on. Car seat. Just hold Easy. on to something. And also, if you're worried enough about safety that you're putting a kid in a child seat, I don't know... Oh, if you just hold on to them, the bomb should be fine. It's probably not the safety <laughs> message you're probably wanting to hear either. <laughs> you got to handle those bad boys like eggs. <laughs> so they get out and they get back over that bridge again. That's when they see the two Range Rovers coming towards the house in, in high speed. And they sort of look at each other and think, oh, maybe they didn't see us. But the next thing you know, they've obviously turned around and they're chasing him. And um, this is, this is a, a, a 
great scene. Great chase. I can't. I, I love it. I love every, every bit about it. Um, now, I don't know. What, what do you think? Should they have got off the road? Should they have stayed on the highway? Should they Were they doing the right thing by going off the bushes? I would have think stay on the highway, get to the capital city, go straight to the police. <laughs> <laughs> Movie over. <laughs> Dust your hands yeah. off. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> I've handed this over to the to the Norwegian police. Let's go have something to eat. Say so these men are harassing us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're shit drivers, though. By the way, like I, I I sort of watched it and watched them sort of like trying to under or um overtake on you know on a corner, and he would just like just he was just picking them off. I it was a Cole great. It is a great scene. I loved. Uh, how much better a, a driver Bond was than these peanuts. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think they had to go into the forest to get away from the, the fog cover for the helicopter, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the way they take out those cars, like, it's just, I think it's great. And then he gets to the, the quiet spot, puts the girls in the shed, and then he sort of lures the other cars and the motorcycles by, um, you know, he gets that, uh, I think he gets the motorcycle first, doesn't he? He, shoot, he shoots someone, gets their gun... The like rocket gun. What do you call that? He gets a Range Rover so he can use the winch. Yeah, after he buys a car, the- gets the winch, takes a motorcycle, um, and then he gets Logan Ash's car where um, it does that flip and sort of rolls down and gets to the tree. So, like, everything around here. It reminded me of which, which Star Wars film is the one that, uh, this isn't a quiz. This is me not knowing the answer. Which Star Wars film uh-huh. do they go to the Return planet of the with the, yeah. the forests? Return of the Jedi. That's that's what I think of yeah. here. It looks like that. Sort of like he's going around a bit like Rambo. It looks like the moon of Endor. You know, yeah, so sure. like he doesn't know where these bad guys are. That's popping their heads up and get them. The thing I really love about this, like, let, let's talk about Logan Ash for a minute and his death scene. Um, thoughts. I don't know which film it's referencing, but it's referencing a Roger Moore film. The For Your Eyes Only. Oh, yeah, maybe. It um, is. I didn't get yeah. to play my music. The bloke uh, with the like, octagon glasses or hexagon glasses. Ooh, I think it was. He pushed, a, he pushed a car onto him, yeah. Yeah, that's he kicked it off the cliff. Yeah. Like, the car was teetering on danger, but he actually forced the car down there. But uh, don't forget also what Logan says. What's his last words, Bon? He says, um, hey, you can't stop him. Help me out, brother. And Bond replies, I had a brother. His name was Felix Leiter. But my question for you is, what other film did Bond reference his brother? Um, in Casino Royale, Felix introduces himself as a brother from Langley. Correct? Yes. I'll give you that. Anything else? What about, I had a brother, Small World. <laughs> I was really hoping he'd just turn around and say that. That would have been a much better line before he squashed him with the car. Small world would have been really good, actually, if he said that. <laughs> the only other thing is when the range rollover did the, uh, the corkscrew jump, like he crashed it off the cliff and it corkscrewed over the Prado and crashed. <laughs> I was just waiting for a slide whistle. Exactly. Um, the same as the, um, the Spectre helicopter and the boat in uh, The World Is Not Enough, that little jet ski Q's lunch boat thing. Was that Tiffany Case? I had a brother. Small world. No, they, were, they, were, they were transporting the, a body across the 
border. And the mafia sit there and say, hey, Mr. Franks, is that your brother back there in the, in the coffin? Yes, it is. I had a brother. Oh, small world. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, one, of those, one of those great scenes which they, they missed an opportunity here. Maybe it was in the uh, draft, I don't know. I'm sure it was. I, I really liked him using the winch to get the motorcycle guys. I thought that was pretty cool. I really mm. did. But I, I did wonder about the intelligence of the motorcycle guys because it was the old, you know, hey, I'm over here, and then running to the left, and the motorcycle guy is, like, running at, like, 90 miles an hour in a straight line. And Man, like, the air feels good on my neck, sort of. Shouldn't, I, <laughs> shouldn't he have been braking to turn the direction James was running, but he was yeah. just straight lining it? <laughs> they didn't cut my sandwich or my... my, my <laughs> What was that scene with Snake in The Simpsons? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's like, um, oh, they didn't slice my sandwich. Yet. That was, um... Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's... Milhouse's dad. Kirk Van Houten. Kirk Van Houten, that's him. So while Bond has been playing with uh, Logan and his car, um, Safan finds Mads and the kid and takes him off to his island lair. Um, and Bond hitchhikes the lift home and with, uh, with 007, with uh, Nomi. And, yeah, and, and they say, oh, look, we need a, a plane, a big plane. We need to get to this island because he took a photo of the island in Madeline's house. And, uh, yeah, we need to go find out what, where, where they are. So I'm not sure what happens here. I think... I think um, Safan sort of like shows Madeline around the lair. Is that right? Talking about the poison garden and his little Zen garden he has there with these people carefully manicuring them while they're while they're making all the all the poisons underneath and they're talking about the plants and that's where the kids kid separates from the mum. Mm. He's got himself a pretty awesome hideout there. The brutalist architecture is yeah beautiful. It's very Chef's cool. Kiss. It reminds me of the uh, actually. I'll ask it this way. <laughs> there was a movie where the bad guy was dealing with um, like a poison gas which was going to exterminate millions to create a better world. And he had a similar garden with this big open concrete place with a big pool in the middle. It's Dr. No, isn't it? Hmm. Oh. That's not the one I'm thinking of anyway. Maybe, I guess. <laughs> a lot of these themes sort of repeat each other. I was thinking more about Drax and Moonraker and that Brazilian rainforest yeah. place, which also had hexagonal uh, vials as well. But this whole yeah. scene there reminded me of his little lair there. We had all those beautiful women just sort of lay, lay, laying around the, the yard and Bond sort of walking through and checking things out. I think he fought a snake at one point. Anyway. The weird thing about Moonraker is that I remember lots of pieces of it, but one of them I don't remember is Drax, and he's like the villain. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's like so tangential to my Moonraker memories. <laughs> he's not the important part at all. He was the cucumber sandwich guy. May I bless yeah. you for a cucumber sandwich? <laughs> the um Bond and Naomi, they jump into this plane. Like a plane within a plane. A big plane, yeah. With folding wings. And they've never flown it before, but you know, they were quite happy to jump in and give it a bash. And they fly out and they sort of land on the water and become a submarine and then float up to 
the submarine dock of this uh, old missile base, the island. That's an incredibly cool gadget for a yeah. very little use within the context of the movie. Yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy who invented it, is always saying, "Did you use my plane on this mission? Not yet. No, <laughs> you didn't use it. But, but this time, it's like, yeah, you're fucking happy I invented that plane. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they wouldn't. How do they, they wouldn't get it back though? Like at the end, we find well, out it blows up. But you know, was it? Could they just reverse back out? Does it work like a normal plane? Or is it only like a glider? Like, it's really only a single-use plane anyway. Yeah, It would have been better doing like a, like a halo jump or yeah. something. Uh, I just want to go back a little bit, uh, talk about... Uh, they get injected with smart blood again. So, if you remember, Inspector Bond gets smart blood put inside of him. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they've put it in, in him again. I'm assuming either the smart blood... It's version 2.0. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it either better. wears out or it's version yeah. 2.0. And this one yeah. gives you, like, vital signs and things like that. I would assume his blood alcohol content has killed off any of the smart blood. <laughs> Long ago, yeah. The, the, the nanobots so are just, like, anymore. begging for change on the corners of his blood vessels. So he needs a booster for the smart blood, but for the nanobots, that's with him forever. Is that right? Yes. 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 Eternal. Mm. Despite the fact he has an access to an EMP that should do. Let's not talk about the EMP uh, (laughs) killing the the nanobots. That's that's too much information. I do want to know with the EMP because he uses it to knock out the cameras once they arrive. Why doesn't it knock out his earpiece? Jeez, I wish you hadn't said that. Yeah, you did right. Yeah, you're right. I only noticed it. I'm skipping ahead here when he uh, disposes of Cyclops. I was assumed that MI6 has some sort of Faraday cage inside the. <laughs> then how's the, the transmitting of it? How's the transmitting with the Faraday cage around it? Well, it's it's a one-way Faraday cage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he can talk, but he can't hear. Yeah, stops the yeah. EMPs coming in. A Faraday looks- cat flap. <laughs> Patent pending. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, at this time, we also find out that it's becoming quite an international incident. Other nations or other entities, anyway, are sending boats to the island. It's obviously getting a lot of of, uh, attention from China and Japan. I think they're just like, because it's in waters, which is close to their land that they're concerned about. But I'm not sure, are they... Just there because, hey, we know something's going on, we want to go and defend it? Or are they actually after the nanobot technology, which they don't know exists yet? Because that's obviously the main reason why we've got this pressing time here. I don't know the answer, but my theory was that Lucifer has been trying to sell this technology to make money. That's his purpose. Like, that's his goal. And he's saying, hey, come over and buy some nanobots from me. Um, And they're on their way to buy some and... Get it out there once it's out, you know, once it's out there, it's out there. Um, I don't think they're coming around going, oh, I hear an MI6 agent snuck onto the island. Let's send four boats. I don't think that's the case. Mm. Either way, these people are closing in, which gives them like their, their hard deadline. Because I think otherwise mm-hmm. they're quite happy just farming the, the nanobots in, in the farm and then factoring them in the factory. So is, is that they what they're doing? I'm a little yeah, bit hazy so... on what's going on here. So the so people in hazmat this. suits in the acid that look like squid games—they are like a like a cranberry farm. That's like nanobots, <laughs> right? That's how you make a nanobot. 
So if the if the original nanobots were made, the Heracles was made in London. How come they didn't have like an acid lake? <laughs> they're, they're not mass producing it, Matt. Yeah, it's so a farm is, and a factory. Is Heracles the virus, and the nanobots are a distribution means of a virus? That's the question or- we should ask our resident doctor, Cameron. Are the nanobots the virus, and the Heracles <laughs> is the distribution? Heracles. Of the Heracles is the project name, like Project Heracles or whatever, like the the name that MI6 gave the operation, Operation Heracles. Okay. Um, he- do we know the story of Heracles and why it is the why it's called Heracles? Well, that's Hercules. Yeah, yeah, it's the Greek Greek pronunciation of Hercules, but yeah. Her- Heracles had a wife, um, Deonyra. And he was trying to get across a flooded river and a centaur said, oh, jump on, I'll help you across. And the centaur was called Nessus and Nessus said, yeah, get across, get across. And he tried to have his way with the missus and because um, centaurs can't be trusted in the myths. And so Heracles said, oh, enough of that bullshit. And he, bang, poison-tipped arrow, killed the centaur. And the centaur said to Dianyra, Hey, this blood you see seeping out of my poison arrow wound, that's actually love potion. Why don't you take a cup and anytime you're worried about Heracles, you give him some of this love potion and he'll be yours forever. And because he's a centaur, he can't be trusted. It's poison. He was trying to kill Heracles. But anyway, she took a cup and she hung onto it. But then at some point she... um. He was unfaithful to her and she poured the centaur blood onto a robe and dyed a robe in the blood and gave it to him and he instantly started burning like the spectre gas from the ceiling sort of thing as soon as he put the robe on. And it's called the robe of Nessus. It's like a thing. And that's why it's called Project Heracles. The (laughs) robe of Nessus? Like a necklace of death? Robe, like bathrobe. Oh, robe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and her name's DNA? You say name's DNA, like uh, DNA. Oh, it's got a shitload of vowels, but it's DNA. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's Heracles, because that's the contact. Like the poison was ages ago, but you put the robe on, and it still gets you ages later, like it was years later. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So Bond's now infiltrated the control room. Uh, they get the doctor. And and they say, all right, well, now it's time to go and get the girl. Because we don't have Mathis in this film, right? But at one point, M does say, I think when they're in the plane up above, he goes, you have three things to do. You have to get the girl, <laughs> kill the bad guy. And what's the other thing? Destroy the get gas. Get off or the something island. Like, get off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like three very basic things. But it's get the girl, get the bad guy and, and get the bad stuff. And so they've got the, um, the bad stuff. They've got the doctor. Then, uh, that's right, Safan speaks to him over the microphone and says, hey, Dr. Jones, why don't you come up and... Oh, sorry, Dr. Jones. Mr. Bond, come up Come upstairs. Yeah, come upstairs. So he goes up and has a, has a cup of tea with him and has a bit of a chat. But at this point... Um, What's happening? Madeline's having a cup of tea and she, she splashes it in Cyclops' face? That's poison. Yeah, because yep. he's got poison flower that blinds his other eye. 
But I don't, I don't know if that matters. I think it's just hot water and the one eye he has. Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't think it works yeah. because later on he's walking around with a gun shooting at Bond because Bond mm, gets rid yeah. of Cyclops. But so. he's got the other eye that wouldn't be affected. Like, so I, I don't know if she was telling the truth or whether she was just stalling and then put hot or, hot water in his other eye. But he's still got the bionic eye that either, either wouldn't get affected by hot water or poison, right? Yeah, good point. Yep. So he's now one-eyed, but he's one bionic-eyed. Yeah. Yep. So she got away by herself. Then Bond goes up and has a chat with uh, Safan, who's holding Matilda. And he's, he, he really... He doesn't break down, but he really... His, his walls come up. You can see he's not gung-ho anymore. He's like, no, don't, don't hurt her. I'll do anything. I'll you know, bow down to you. I'll, I'll do whatever he yeah. needs. I'll take my guns away. I'll, you know, I'll be good. And then... There's a trapdoor that he drops down the trapdoor when he does pull his gun out. A bit like, a bit like. Where is there a trapdoor where he sort of falls through as he's walking through this unknown environment? Now Bond falls through the trapdoor in the film that I'm thinking of. I don't remember. There's a trapdoor in Live and Let Die at, in the in the cemetery. That's yeah, more of a elevated work. Elevator, platform, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was thinking you only live twice when he goes to see Tiger Tanaka. He goes, well, he follows um, Chu oh, Mi or yeah. Kissy Suzuki or one of those girls and he falls through this trapdoor and he comes out a little thing on the other side. So the, he then finds Madeline just wandering the corridors and says, we're going to go find Matilda. Cole, can we, can we talk about the, I think this, I think the conversation between Bon and Safin is kind of important. Okay. Um, yeah. Because we, we, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one is we probably get to see Safin's full motivation for doing it. And to be honest, when I sort of heard that from his own words, I, I was really, really found wanting in this villain. Yes, I agree. It was, it was, you had two master, we, we had, we had two master actors going uh, in this scene. You know, Remy Malik is amazing. We had some of the best, this is the best material, I think, um, in range wise that, that uh, Daniel Craig has had. We had, we see him sort of breaking down and part of that was a ruse, but it was really strange to see James Bond behave that way. Um, and I think the really disappointing aspect was it was, it was really trope, trope laden with, you know, you and I are both alike, which is like the sort of thing we've seen a villain and hero say yeah. a million times before. A million and it, times. And it really, in the end, it was really fell flat as to why he was doing this. It was just like something, something. He's kind of like, oh, I, I'm evil, and that that was pretty disappointing. I felt, you know, this was the big bad that wiped out Spectre, and really his motivations were were pretty thin. He did shoot a pillow, though. He did shoot a pillow. <laughs> I don't know why. He told him, um, "She's uh, be careful, James. She's as light as a feather." And he went as if to throw Matilde up into the air, but he threw a cushion instead. And in the air, the cushion was shot by, like, five different guys. And it was like, the next thing I throw, I'm going to grab her by the arm and she's going up there. Oh, okay. That makes sense, sort of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange way to threaten the child. He should have just said, I will have them shoot Matilde. Yeah. Like, that would have been more direct. Yeah, it does, it does read a little bit like that, just in case you thought these people weren't real, like, they are real and the guns are loaded. Like, thanks. So then Bond's wandering down on the next level below with Madeline. 
He says, oh, they fell through a trapdoor. They'll be wandering through here somewhere. And then Matilda says, here I am. She just, she just, he, he lets it go. Comes out from under a table. So, yeah, yeah, there's a scene. This bothered me. This one, this stuck in my head for ages after first seeing the film in the theatres where there's... He, he makes a big deal of, like, there, there's sort of this this thing that he hasn't been able to satisfy. He hasn't been able to satisfy the idea of being a father in his life. And he gets this opportunity to have this child. And he takes her with her and he... And he she's more than just, like, a shield against Bond. He, like, he, he takes... He does suggest he'll give her back if Bond leaves the island. But he takes her with her and then at one point the girl bites him and... Mm. He puts it down and just says, "Okay, well, off, off you try it." Yeah, that didn't didn't seem right to me. It almost was like they needed a way for her to get loose, and this was convenient. Yeah. I guess if you're a villain in your island lair, you kind of don't think you have to keep super close tabs on <laughs> the prisoners. She's not going anywhere. Like where where are they going? I mean, he gives up awfully easily, though, right? It's like, I'm going to take you yeah. with me. I'm going to take you with me, chomp. Okay, bugger it. Whatever. Yeah. The only thing I can think is he does have that vial of Madeline and Matilda's blood, or nan- nanobot blood, with him. So, he's like, well, I've got the kids. So, well, I've, you know, I've got this as a, uh, as a backup, which he ends up using. That's, that's the only reason I can see he lets it go quite happily. But, yeah. Either way, he gets these girls. That's mission one. Tick. Um... And I think while this is happening, uh, 007 uh, Naomi is um, with Dr. Boris and she ends up getting pissed off with him and just pushes him off a bridge into, a, into the vat of acid. That's when everyone starts scarpering. She's great, by the way. I, I don't know if we've talked enough about new 007. I'm going to say in gym. She's not 007 at this point. She gives it, gives it up. They have That's a mutual respect on the, on the plane. It's not the yes. point I'm making. <laughs> the point I'm making is that in Jamaica, I kind of thought, yeah, okay, who's this? What's all going on? Okay, what, okay, let's see what's going on here. But by this point in the film, really by, by in the car in Norway when she said, I'm coming with you, I thought, Okay, I'm on board with her. Yeah, and I felt the just, same. She was great. I, I'm glad the film didn't make, didn't antagonise them too much and sort of make up, oh, you know, he's an old has-been and she's the, the young buck on the up and up. And yeah. they, they, they found the mutual respect fairly quickly. Yes. Uh, I, that felt right to me and I'm glad, I'm glad that. Because, yeah, I, I really enjoyed her time on, on screen. Yeah, because they could have overplayed it in both directions. And they yep. really, I think, got it exactly right. The, the right balance of uh, I'm new and important and I'm old and important. And they kind of found each other's strengths pretty quickly. But given how hard they went early on with her being quite antagonistic towards Bond, it did seem like it was going to go in a bad direction. Yeah. But I they, think they, they, they pulled the handbrake really well. Yeah. Just in time. Absolutely. Who's yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'd be pleased that I'm running out of these. Uh, look, I mentioned he fell off the bridge. This is uh, Dr. Dr. Boris and fell into the acid. Do you guys remember when there was another henchman that fell off a, uh, like an elevator platform through one of those poorly designed handrails and fell into something that had to be maintained at absolute zero? Otherwise, the whole island would explode. Golden gun. There was golden gun. Congratulations. Yeah. Now, well, it was that or Jack Nicholson in the as the Joker in the Tim Burton Batman. Batman. <laughs> Smilex. 
Now, this whole um, farm, we, we briefly touched on it before. We had the, Cameron, you said yeah, the Squid Game guys were sort of walking around and had those like fluorescent lights sticking out of it. This is more of a personal thing. I don't think it's an exact reference, but when Bond took the boat to Macau in Skyfall, Skyfall. and he takes that little, um, little boat to the casino, they're going through all these Chinese lanterns and there's lots of fireworks oh, going yeah. on. That sort of water scene, to me, looked the same way that the, the lights were all lit up. And there's also been parallels driven. I was reading that people have seen that this looks like Stromberg's submarine garage as well, like the big long Ken Adams set that they have at the water. Yeah, and, and it things. did. But yeah. my main question for you is with the, uh, the henchmen, like they've got the squid game guys, but also got these other guys wearing um, the hazmat suits with a large plastic cylindrical bubble helmet thing mm. on the top. And where have we seen the henchmen with those ones? Dr. No. That's Dr. No, isn't it? It was Dr. No, yeah. Yeah. It's like exactly, almost exactly the same. So I found myself throughout this film, every time you see something like that, it's just, it's just like another callback, which, which I thought was great because if you hadn't seen the old films, it's just something new for you. It's not, it, was, it was done um, subtly enough. Anyway, <laughs> I thought so. so I liked but, it. But like you say with the Stromberg one, like if someone said to you that this was filmed on the same soundstage that that was filmed on, you'd have no trouble believing it. So Bond uh, decides it's time that they've got everything they need and he's going to call in the missile strike. They've got nine minutes to, um, to get off the island. So he's, he's got the girls off the island and he's opened up the, uh, the missile doors because it's all blast proof and he's ready to go. And then as he's walking away, he sees the missile doors close again and he realises that uh, Safan is still up to something. So he goes back to try and open up those doors. And that's when he runs into Safan and has a fight with him in the pond. And this is where Safan smashes well, he the... Shoots, uh, he shoots Bond first. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. In the, Bond. in the back, yeah. So he's fall, falling down. He still fights him. He gets the smashed vial across his face, which is his ultimate demise, because uh, that's got the vial of Madeline's nanobots and, and he can't go anywhere near him. And I've got to say, death scene, great. When he just gets, he just, you could see the blood draining from his face and he's just like, oh God, what do I do now? I've got, I've got nothing. I can't go back to my girls. What do I do? He doesn't even look at Safan. He just shoots off to the left, bang, 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 dead. And he just walks off and he just staggers off thinking, I'm done. You're right. It was a, it was a kind of nonchalant killing of the big bad yeah. villain. Mm, yeah. Because he had such a bigger villain inside himself to deal with. It was okay, bang, bang, you're dead. That's a great way of putting it. This was a tremendous scene. Um, there's a lot of, there's a, I think there's a lot of like you know, antagonist protagonist, you know, final battles where there's like this urge by the filmmakers to prolong it. So they they the antagonist is more powerful than it lets on. Mm. And this was actually fairly quick. It's quite brutal where he breaks his arm. Oh yeah. And, and then it sort of sinks in what he's done to him, and and honestly, like that, it it was a bit of a punch in the heart to realize that. Like it's, um, again, like this is probably the most Daniel Craig has had to work with material yes. wise, and um, I felt it, and it was it was a little bit hard to take just just to understand what Safin had taken away from him. Absolutely, I think Craig did really well with it too. I mean, yeah. if you're going to say it's just an action guy or whatever. 
based on Casino Royale. Like this, he had, like you said, he had far bigger range in this film, and he mm. hit every note. Yeah, and he's doing it without saying a lot, right? Like it's all visual work that he's doing. Like it's all facial expression yeah. and eye acting. A lot of close-ups. Yeah. Mm. Mm. The only thing I wish uh, that Rami Malek had said uh, before he died was for Queen and Country or some sort of Queen reference <laughs> thing. You know, I think he just he was fresh off the Oscar from his Freddie Mercury performance. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he goes up to the <laughs> missile doors and he opens them up and then he, he's like, well, no, we've got to make sure my family's safe. Actually, well, before I, sh- I should mention, we had that excellent cutaway gun barrel shot. You see it in some of the promos where he's, he's shooting around and he just shoots down this this corridor. Oh, yeah. Um, it's awesome. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, he's just walking around shooting henchmen, and at one point the henchman's at the far end of the tunnel and he just does the turn and shoot just yeah. like the gun barrel. It was brilliant. Yeah, but they don't make a big we, deal of it. It's just blink and you miss it. It's just there yep. as, a, as a little nod. It's fantastic. We also didn't, we didn't mention the way he killed Cyplo- Cyclops with the EM. EM. With his one-way Faraday cage, one-way mirror. Yes. Yeah, correct, correct. That was a great death scene, Faraday. Yeah. But also, that scene, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the director is pretty well known for... I I guess his most famous scene is the True Detective, that massive, like, four-minute-long one-shot scene, I think in episode four, if I remember correctly. And the stairwell scene in this was a was a one shot. It was a was a big one shot scene that lasted forever. That sort of ended with with the the battle between him and Cyclops, where he blew up his eye and presumably his brain. Yeah, it mm. was. It, I, I want to mention that it was a it was it was a fun, pretty fun scene. It's a really yeah. cool scene because there's a few points where they go from like you're following Bond, so you're essentially getting like a third person look at, at Bonds working his way up the staircase, but then as a villain opens the door behind Bond, you kind of flip to their perspective on it, and it's kind of done seamlessly, like you're you're seeing Bond's perspective, then you're seeing the villains, and then you back to Bonds all the way as in this one shot as you're working up walking up the staircase. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. It was a very good fight scene. And it comes back to that sense of danger that you had in that uh, Italy car scene at the start where you, especially um, you, you, you don't know if he's going to make it. Like you sort of feel like there's something going on. And I, I feel like there's a, there a sense of dread. Yeah, there's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of missing going on. There's also a lot of grenades dropped down and he's only throwing so many grenades you can throw back up <laughs> in the air before he's going to get, you know, he's got permanent deafness. Like he had another deafness yeah. scene in there where everything's just ringing. Um, it was it was just done so well. Yeah. So we'll we'll cut towards the the end. He goes up to the uh, the top of the um, island. He makes sure his family's safe. Well, he opens yeah. the silo doors again. Yes. Yep. That's He's opened the that problem. Up. He had to he had to stay on the island to open those damn silo doors. And then he has a and then conversation up with the ladder. Okay. Yep. Yep. Another helix reference, Cameron. Maybe ladder. <laughs> maybe. Does have to spin. I don't know. Anyway, so he, he goes. He's also patched through. To, he's also patched through to uh, to Madeline as well at this time. Yeah, and she, it's starting to dawn on her that he's not coming back. Quiz time. So quiz time. He does say, "I love you." How many other times has he said, "I love you" to a main character? 
There was that was a code word for something at one point. Oh, yeah, he said it to Tiger Tanaka. That's right. I think it was the first time he actually said it. Uh, on is that right? Yeah, I, think I so. always think back to Frank Drebin in Naked Gun going, "That was <laughs> I love it when the <laughs> I love it." <laughs> I think uh, the other two people were obviously Tracy in Majesty's Secret Service and Vespa. He said it in um, Casino Royale. Ah. Um, so, yeah, he, he's up there and he's, he, we watch the missiles come across and, and he just says, yeah, I, she says, oh, you know, he, she, she does have your eyes. He says, I know. And then down comes the bomb. And he, I was kind of waiting for the bit where, you cut to the wide shot and see the bombs go off and think, ah, oh, you know, he might still have, you know, hidden behind a tree or something. <laughs> no, you, you see the bomb land on him. There's, there's no way that he got out of that. It's unmistakable. Yeah. Uh, James Bond is, is now dead after this. So this is a quest- brings me to a question I was going to ask. When did it dawn on all of you guys that he was definitely dead and or going to die? Because for uh, me, I didn't. To the point where when the missiles are flying over towards him and they sort of break apart, I actually thought that was them, like, self-detonating prior ah, to impact. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. That was how late it dawned on me that he was actually going to die. Uh, but I don't know if I'm an odd one out there. Um, I probably started thinking, like, there's been so many times where it's incredulous that he has got out of something and, it, and survived. Like... Mm. And you think, oh, he'll find a way, like a bunker or something, rah, rah, rah. And, but at some point, I don't know, maybe when he's climbing the ladder, I sort of started thinking, this is time-wise. Yeah. He's, not, he's running out of time. Mm. Um, but it, I really didn't believe the film was going to do it until it did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I just, they've, it's, it's a long history of, you know, loopholes. Yes. <laughs> For me, it was right at the moment when he, when he blew up because you yeah, know, James Bond doesn't die. He can't die. He always gets out of it. The villain always puts him in a death machine that doesn't work and he gets away and he comes back and gets the girl and lives to live another day. But I was like watching the first bomb go off 200 metres away. There was another one 100 metres away. And when he got blown to smithereens, I thought, Oh, well, I guess, uh, I guess he. That's bad news for Bond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess he's not getting out of this <laughs> one. And I saw this bloody, I saw this bloody thing three weeks before you, and I had to just sit on this. Is it we've effectively been trained by seals to expect a Bond getting out of something yeah. somehow? Um, I honestly didn't walk into this film thinking that he was going to die, and I, it was probably very late in the piece when I was like, "Oh, okay, this is what's going to happen." Mm. Um, on, on, so I watched it again today, and that scene um, hit me harder the second time around. Um, you know, I th- it got a little bit dusty in my house when I started watching that scene. I, I, it's kind of weird. There must be some yeah. dust that blew into my into the well, living room. Well, I think and- the the score was excellent. The way the cinematography was done was excellent. I mean, it was a really well handled scene Very. by the director. But while you mentioned the score, there, like I loved the bit. Uh, Hans Zimmer did the did the music, and he had like he brought some new brass to it where. He had like a real horn kind of, it's like a real, like a real strong, yeah. rah, 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 rah. and and that I thought 
really got me into it. That was in the casino, not the casino, the, the DB5 scene, it was in the Cuba scene, and yeah. it was back in this gunshot scene. And that really got me going. And, like, pun intended, hands down, I think this is one of the best scores we've seen in a Bond film for a very long time. I think, I think Hans Zimmer did an excellent job. He, you know, he's done Interstellar. He did the Dark Knight trilogy, I think, or at least um, one of them. Is that um, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's excellent is what I know. He did June, didn't he? Possibly. I don't know. I haven't seen that. If he didn't, I'm cutting it out. But if he did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Bond, Bond is dead. And just to confirm it as well, like we, we have Q, M, Moneypenny, uh, Tanner, uh, sitting back at M's office, all having a and Nomi, Nomi is and there. Nomi, of course. Thank you. Uh, they're having a whiskey, and they've got a separate whiskey on the on the table there for for Bond. And uh, M reads this this quote: "The function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong. I shall use my time." And that's a quote actually from "You Only Live Twice," as well. Um, is that right? Is a real one, yeah. So, and it's, it's just, it's a simple thing. But when he said, "All right, back to work and chink the glass," like, I'm, I'm with you, Matt. Like, goodness, like my, my emotions were, were, going up more than what they should for, for like a Bond film. Like, you know, you, you expect yeah. just like a fun romp and like, eh, whatever. But, but this is, this I thought it was quite, quite done quite well. Hmm. The final scene that we have is where Madeline and the kid are driving through the DB5 and the cliffs of Italy, the same cliffs that. Uh, Bond and Madeline drove on at the start of the film, and the kids actually she's not in the car, child seat, is she? No, she's just in the front. Oh, yeah. well, that's a problem. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but the the final thing she says is, "I'm going to tell you a story about a man, and that man is Bond, James Bond." And I said at the start of when we did Casino Royale for this podcast, I said. If the franchise finished there with Bond saying Bond, James Bond, that would be a perfect end of the journey. I said that was excellent. Yeah. And I think- It was a great final, su- final shot, yeah. If, you, if you're going to make it any better, this is how they did it. Because then they drove through that bloody tunnel, which was like another gun barrel with a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, just like God. a gun barrel. Yeah. How good. How good. Really cool. So, um, any further thoughts from you guys? I do have a question. Like, what does No Time to Die actually mean? Because when I first heard the title, I thought in the scene uh, in Predator, when Jesse Ventura says, uh, ain't, ain't got, got time, time to bleed. I was thinking, yeah. Bond doesn't have time to die. But then sort of at the end, it's sort of like, oh, no, I've got a family now. This is, this is no time for me to die. Not now. Look, oh. I'm ready to go. So yeah. it's like yeah. it's a double-edged sword. Look, I'll cut through this. I really like this film. I, I didn't think that I would like it walking into it with all the directorial changes, the score changes, the production delays, um, Craig's public unenthused demeanour. But from the opening gun barrel, I had goosebumps. And where I I feel some of the other Bonds got a little same-same towards the end of their roles, I feel that Craig actually got very comfortable in this role. And I think this is his best performance out of all the films that he's done. Uh, the story was great and showed great respect for the franchise. And at the end of the film, just like Matt, I admit that I also got emotional and I told my wife that I had something in my eye. Uh, <laughs> and I'm for my caginess, oh. <laughs> I'm going to give this film a double O what? That's it. Double O what? <laughs> the same way that uh, 007 was asking what 
double out of spawn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what did you think? All right. Well, um, it the, the, it's a hard one. I've fl- I've flip flopped and flim flammed a lot around this film. Um, when I walked out of it, I was like, yeah, it's okay, but I didn't love it. I think the rewatch improved it in a lot of ways, but also. It also highlighted a few of the disappointing aspects around it, which, uh, like the like es- essentially the villain, and it's not the way he played it; it's just the way it, I think it was kind of written. Um, so, <sighs> yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Um, so, in a film about nanobots with a shallow plot, where Bond <laughs> discovers he has a nanotot, I'd probably give it seven tops. <laughs> nice. nice, very good, very good. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Slam poetry. Now, now, bureaucrats. Um, I, I have to basically echo what both of you guys are saying. I, I thought it was, if not Craig's best movie, it'd be up there with Casino Royale as, as, as the best outing for him, obviously. Not that he was up against particularly hard competition. I think... It was incredibly well shot, some amazing shots. It was more emotional for the reasons you said than most Bond movies. There are some aspects that are a bit undercooked, I think, um, you know, not fully explored that I think detract from it a little bit. Uh, but overall, I, I think it was a really, really excellent, excellent movie from start to finish. Uh, and... Uh, I was seeing double. I saw four double oh seven, so I give it a twenty eight. I said double four crusties. I really, really um, enjoyed the film. I thought it was just the strongest one in a little while. Like Cam said, since Casino Royale, it's it's Craig's strongest, but. You know, I on the rewatch I liked it even more. Which I wasn't sure which way I would go in the rewatch, which way I would go. Um but it ain't it's not perfect. It's not gonna get ten out of ten. Um it's not a perfect film. There are gaps, there are problems, but I do like it a lot. But I will give it all the nines in the world. <laughs> oh, <nice>. oh <laughs> very good. Very nice. Now James Bond is dead. What's going to happen with the franchise now? Like, what, where do you guys see it going? I, I've got, I've got an idea. I think we should continue the Bond storyline from here. There truly is only one man who can play Bond to replace Daniel Craig and continue this epic journey. And I give to you the one famous silver screen franchise that has already been with all the established tropes that we need, ladies and gentlemen. I give to you your new 007. Lomax, Bernie Lomax, in the 26th Bond film, Weekend at Bondies. Now, before you dismiss me, listen, listen. He, Bernie Lomax, played by Terry Kaiser, he day drinks on the job in his office. He has a house by the beach. He has fancy cars. He wears sunglasses, just like that. He flashes money around, and most of it doesn't belong to him. He gets the girls and beds a few as well. He owns a boat. He wins fights against bad guys seemingly effortlessly. And he finds himself in situations where the audience says, oh, there's no way he can survive that. But he does. And he comes back for sequels after sequels that really shouldn't be made. Well, and just like James sequel. Bond himself, he's dead. 
So here we go. That's your new James Bond. That's my thoughts. Roll it out. Uh, the weekend is on not enough. <laughs> <laughs> are are we saying that the Bond universe and the Bernie universe are the same universe? They must be. How good are that? Okay. Canon. Yeah. We just made it canon. <laughs> um, well, I suppose maybe not, but seriously, what, what, what do we see? Does anyone have any thoughts about what they'd like to see? I think it's in a really interesting place now because they can just do a reboot like they've done time and time again and just this is one arc that's done and reboot it with a new Bond essentially like they did with Craig. They can either do it from the start with him getting his double O or just throw him in the middle of a long career. Or more interestingly, I think, is that they can put in basically where this movie finishes and have a 007 come in as the replacement to deal with the history and legacy of this 007 and what that does to you and and have all like some of the existing cast in there so he's sort of dealing or she is dealing with the shadow of the of of James Bond as the previous 007 and everything that can come along with that his recent death because obviously they can't leave that spot open forever there's work to be done mm. they can put someone in that role and deal with all of the the side effects and and things of that and it, it gives them a lot of options and i feel like that could be some really interesting stuff to be done there it's more of a 007 film rather than a james bond film yeah exactly yeah. like yep. yeah essentially like have yep. it as it's it's not actually james bond it's a 007 and even if I mean universe. you could lean into that theory that James Bond is the name given to 007 so I mean you could still technically um, do James Bond well they did that in but, Casino Royale the 1967 version they um, when they when James Bond was retired uh, MI6 said come on back we need you and he said no so they killed him and then they named every other agent James hmm. Bond yeah. so you had women you had men everyone was called 007 and, and no one knew who yeah, the bad guys didn't know who to kill because they were all called 007. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't done that film yet, but maybe one day we will. Maybe one day we'll get, get into that. <laughs> I'll have to be pretty my, drunk for it. My, my theory on the whole thing is that I think the problem that the Craig era had was they got into an arms race with the Bourne films and the Mission Impossible films. And it was how far can you push extreme action? You can you can sort of run that race and try to win that battle, and they have the resources, I guess, to win that battle. But they don't have to even be in that fight. I I honestly would like Bond to. I would be happier if the Bond universe was restricted to the timeline of the books, and it was all set like in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And it took all of the modern technology out of it um, mm. and you had 60s technology and what was futuristic in the 60s mm. and, and we just stayed there. I think that's a better place for the franchise That's a fun to idea, actually. I like that, yeah. I would, just, I would just prefer it to be there. Yeah. If it that's tries fine. to stay in the present, I just don't think... Like, Cam made a really good point about how carrying the eyeball on a pillow... It's sort of a bit, it sort of sounds a bit hokey. Like, if you, you couldn't do it in a Bourne film, you couldn't do it in a Mission Impossible film. You can do it in a Bond film because of the legacy that Bond films have given you. 
But if you keep racing forward technology-wise, at some point you're going to have to drop that legacy and just become a different version of the born identity or a different version mm. of Mission Impossible. Mm. And if you want to still be Bond, just rewind the clock and go back to Bond in the 1950s and be that guy. I'd like to see a period piece. That'd be good. And just say that. Yeah, just stay there. I don't have any sort of any real desires moving forward about what I personally want. What I would say, uh, I would say bet on the the studio being conservative. To I think there's something we've seen over the last decade is how conservative movie theater uh, movie studios are in terms of making money. It's all sequels. It's all mm-hmm. you know. It's 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 based on other IP and stuff like that. I I would I would kind of bet on them being quite conservative with their decisions and and I, I could be totally proven wrong and I probably would like to be, but I'm I'm betting something that's probably more on on formula. As the movie promised at the end of the closing credits, James Bond will return, and when he does, rest assured, we will be there to guide you through everything that you never knew that you didn't need to know. <laughs> Until then, thanks for listening to Spectre, etc. I'm Colin. I'm Matt. Uh, I'm Cameron. G'day, I'm Benzo. And we'll catch you next time, whenever that is. I suppose, I was thinking, look, now that Spectre's dead, do we just become etc.? Yeah. (laughs) Etc.